Yeah. Well, I, I guess just hit record and start talking. Yeah, I started recording. So, okay, good. yeah. Um, I think we should just kind of like recap. Um, all right, so... <laughs> What's going on? Um, you, you can edit all this out. Yeah, uh, yeah. So anyway, I'll just start talking here. Let's see. So it's been... Uh, I've been getting into the stuff that... Uh, the anima stuff. I've been looking at the male stuff too, actually, interestingly enough, that I'm realizing I'm projecting all these things for other people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If that makes I don't I don't I don't I don't have much of a knowledge of these things uh, like you do, the, the the Jungian stuff. So right, this is all relatively new to me. I knew a little bit of it. Uh, I knew the synchronicity story. That was a big famous one. I've always known about. That's one of my favorite mm-hmm. stories of all time, of any story, because uh, it's like the story of synchronicity is a synchronistic story. It's funny, but with the you right. know the scare the scarab. But, Why don't uh, we recap that story? I did a post about it a while ago. Why don't you recap it for us? Right, right. Essentially, Carl Jung was a, a Swiss psychologist, um, for anyone who doesn't know. And he was conducting a therapy session with one client at one point, And he was having a very difficult time reasoning with the client because, um, because the client was very rational, very, uh, very skeptical about things, and very skeptical about Jung's... Um, Jung's theories of the unconscious and while he was trying to break through to this patient the patient tells him a story of a dream she had had the previous night where in the dream she encountered a golden scarab like a a golden beetle and while she was telling this story behind him Carl Jung heard something tapping on the window and he opened the window and a golden scarab flew in and that is the story he uses to as the basis of what he called synchronicities and to carl jung synchronicities were a kind of of a of a phenomenon that happens in reality as a result of different people different people's psyche so it's it's almost uh it's similar to extrasensory perception but it's more along the lines that um these collective hallucinations can occur in reality and um, people's expectations and thoughts can um, kind of generate these hallucinations that happen in reality. Well, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely yeah. true. That's exactly, I don't know what you, how you think synchronicity actually manifests and who's to say we can actually ever know, you know, because uh, you, you can't know the Tao if you do, if you think you know what you don't. So anyway, right, right. so with, so with synchronicity, there's a few ways. My personal experience with synchronicity is kind of boiled down to this. When you're on, when reality is playing out like Pirates of the Caribbean, when you're on the boat and everything's in alignment, and like sounds that are, you know, two things that are just miles apart when they just coexist and align at that same time. You are, For me, I feel like you're in alignment with source. And, and the more things are in alignment, the more it's like Pirates of the Caribbean where you're on this ride, you're watching all this horrific things happen to people but you're in this state you're blissed out you're actually having a good time because you're on a ride but uh everything's in alignment and you know just you're listening to something on the radio and it's in alignment what's in front of you in traffic um and it's just showing you that 
if you shows you a few things, and I think one of the most profound things is your mind is somehow like things are too aligned to be uh, not from you know like not I can't even put it into words. Um, when you see synchronicity in effect, it's like you know things are being run in a higher order. There's there's order to the universe out of it. Seems like chaos, but and that's where the floating for me comes in. The the more you become still and relaxed, the more these things become evident because it's the truth of reality coming out as synchronicity. You're getting closer to the alignment uh, with your your personal truth, your source, and uh, your myths playing out perfectly because you're riding it like a ride now. It's bliss, you're blissed out watching every, you know, it's sad, sad things are happening. People are getting raped and, and villages are being burned down and you know, they're robbing you, taking your gold and, but it's a ride and you're watching it and uh, you're a witness. So the more you become the witness, the more you become, you know, time becomes slower and it's, I maybe it's the Wu Wei thing in Taoism as well, but it, it, things really just become it's just so perfectly aligned that you cannot deny it's it's beyond uh circumstance or it's not it just it cannot happen any other way so for me it, and there's another way of looking at synchronicity is a really good book by dr kirby surprise i think that's his name it's a, called synchronicity and I, I can't remember if this was the theory or if this was my theory that would kind of matched his but so basically things are happening events this is what i think is happening i can't remember this, if this was his theory so don't quote me on that but this is if it's his theory, also it's in my mind, but this is how I feel synchronicity is energetically happening. In this timeless state in the fifth dimension, everything is happening at once. Like when you're moving across a, a linear timeline, as you get closer to a, a very highly psychic uh, event, energetic wise, like maybe example, a wedding or a funeral, as you get closer to that, um, you get more synchronicities as you get closer to it towards the actual event, the, the day of. And sometimes you'll get bizarre synchronicities, like why, why are these things happening to me? What are these numbers? What are these times? What are these special things that keep popping up in my reality? Well, then when you actually get to the event in a week or a couple of days, a, a, as you see more synchronicities that are going to, you know, like if it's a wedding, a lot of times it's just evident, like you just see all these wedding things. Because you, your mind's creating this reality, your energy, your thought, your emotions, they're creating the synchronicities. And, uh, and that's how a lot of times a paranoid schizophrenic can get caught in this loop of manifesting their own paranoid schizophrenia. So the mind's doing all of it. We're a witness to this reality that's created by the mind and synchronicity is proof uh, that there's a higher order that's running things that are, you know, it's beyond just, we're, we're, it's just, it's not just chaos. It's not the, just a material world that's running. It's that it's, it's chaotically playing out. There's order to it and, uh, it's, it's blissful. It's funny. It's uh, it's wonderful. It exists, and everybody can, like, almost perpetually live in it. It's not just some random thing that you, that, that can occur. My whole life is synchronicity. There are no accidents. I can be here now. That's what Ram Dass says. No accidents. It's absolutely true. There are no accidents. Everything is perfectly aligned, uh, and from a higher order of seeing things, it's just evident. So, from a smaller perspective, yeah, things. It's like, oh, this is just random that this happened. That these two little things that crossed that they matched up. But no, no, no. Uh, back up, slow down, relax, and you'll see that it's all that way. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, you're kind of talking about, like, that source code underneath all of it. Like, what is the codes and the the mathematics and the order that our our universe is structured around? And it, it makes sense that you don't really consciously know that or consciously perceive that. You have... Um, 
is this conscious hallucination around you. This, that's your reality that's unfolding. And it's some kind of interplay between the reality underneath everything and the the flavoring that our sense data gives it. You know, we process reality uh, mostly unconsciously, and then out of that unconscious processing emerges a a reality. And it, well, it, yeah, the things that go on in our head, the things that we store, the kind of experiences that are uh, that are that develop our personal unconscious. That mixed with the the archetypal imprints, which is what you know you were kind of talking about learning, and and that's really where archetypes fit in here. It's a combination of the archetypal imprints that are wired into us, wired into our neurobiology, and also wired into the existence of our culture, wired into that network of of human minds. But it's that combination of the the archetypes of the unconscious, archetypes of the collective unconscious, and that personal sense data, and then your the experiences that are dwelling in your personal unconscious, and that that mixture builds reality. Um, so it's also kind of important to think about what you're allowing to flavor your reality, what you're allowing to to go into that perception, that perceptual hallucination. Yeah, well, I believe ultimately your reality is your karmic propensity manifest an amalgam of all these thoughts emotions and maybe stuff stored over endless countless lifetimes but an amalgam of this manifested in the field you know of consciousness which we call reality and uh you know so that's that's what in my experience that's what's happening that's what everybody's getting and they can kind of shift that uh a little bit and they, they are absolutely co-creators of their own reality and at a, at a higher level they're not even their reality they're not even their mind and body so what i do is i spend a lot of time working with people in the flow tank and showing this reality between the gap of the thoughts that uh they're not that so anyway so thanks for having me on by the way we didn't do any formal uh hellos, yeah. but uh thanks for having me on i've been uh, a big fan of your page and uh I'll say I found your page. I always have this thing running in my head about Kanye West, and uh, he's like this super ego uh, character in my life. That I, I, sometimes I want to channel him. Actually, I will channel people's energy, even if they're alive. Um, and and w when I want to go into a, a strong egoic place, I always channel him. And I, you know, I love the Taylor Swift. The, and the, I, I always feel like uh, I'm him. And I, I, when I first found your page. I, I those the, those first like like oh my god is this guy getting like digging into my brain at night and like swimming in my dreams because it's it's like the interplay of me playing myself out as him as an ego in an ego sense and then Taylor whatever it, whatever that may be in that dream or that uh, that thought process of uh, how I look at reality but it's almost like a yin and yang thing with them as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I well first of all, it means a lot that you like the page. Um, I was telling you the last time we, we spoke privately that your page and your content was kind of my introduction to this social, this community on Instagram. And in a lot of ways, your content and some other people's content inspired me to make my page. And I'm so glad I did because I really, you know, I enjoy these conversations with people like you. Well, yeah, it's a, uh, an incredible way to, memes are such a powerful way to get dense information out if you're good at it. 
Uh, that's how you know somebody's smart. If they can get something very dense out in a very simple way, and you can explain this to somebody in a very simple way. And so that's what memes are. And a lot of memes are so many different things, but that's one of the things that they are. If you're good at them, that's what you are. So incredible. And you spend a lot of time too. You don't just do, I mean, so I'm, I'm real cheap about it. That's what I like about memes is I'm doing this now. I've, I've manifested this into a, an experience where I'm living at a float center, but this has all come from me just laying around, getting stoned. And, and I was in a you know relatively darker spot, but making memes relative to my condition because I realized that we're all one. And these pe- these pages that were getting a lot of hits were just putting out stuff that was honest and people were resonating with that truth. It was their subjective truth. There's objective truths and subjective truths. Instagram is full of people who have a subjective truths that are creating adherence to this paradigm that they're putting out. Um, and it's whatever belief system you want to be, whatever victim mentality, whatever, anything, it's on there. And they you got 70,000, 100,000, a million followers. So we have our own little niche. And I guess I'm proud to say that uh, I feel like I'm one of those... That I, I feel like I'm one of the first psychedelic meme pages, and help helps inspire a lot of other ones. And again, I'm understanding that we're all one, and you you know the the true understanding of the Tao is to go to put yourself last or put people forward. You know, kind of go low, so you're taken care of. There's nothing to worry about, so you can give and give and give and give and wait, get give away endlessly, because you're that 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 gives. So. Uh, when you realize that, it's funny because it's like, if you want to be selfish, give to other people, give away, give as way as much as yourself as possible. Be selfless is actually being selfish because you're ultimately serving self, which is you, because we're all one. So it's a weird thing, but it's an interesting trip I've been on since discovering floating. Which uh, have you floated yet, by the way? No, I haven't. Really uh, excited to do it. I know this week. Yeah, I had a crazy week. Um, it all all slipped out. You know. It's okay. I mean, but, we've got two float centers trying to give you free float. So it's, it's, it, and you want to do it. So it's just one of, sometimes your ego wants to go somewhere badly. It wants to get that thing done. It wants to do it. It wants to heal instantly, but you're just not, your karmic propensity hasn't manifested that possibility yet. Meaning energetically, it's not ready. You're not ready for it and it's not ready for you. And we, you know, our finite mind cannot understand or fathom the finite possibilities that are going to come at us. Uh, you know, so we have to just wait and it'll happen. So as much as I'd like you to be in there too, we'll talk about this again, uh, at another level when we'll do my round on, on my show. So, yeah, that'll be great. That'll be great. Hey, I want to go back to something you said. Um, you, you mentioned a a lot of things and I'm just going to try to kind of touch on a few of them, but you were saying about how everyone is a co-creator of their own reality. And then we were also talking about memes a little bit. And I, I actually love the topic of memes. Um, <laughs> I think memes are, uh, are 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 a very specific phenomenon. Um, like a, it's a, a kind of it's the idea that an idea itself can ripple throughout culture, and then that image of an idea rippling throughout culture, whatever it means, is its own meme. And if if that particular idea appeals to people and resonates with people, and and reflects a deeper reality then it's often repeated by people and repeated and becomes a part of the culture and then different memes represent different uh ideologies the different ideologies different ideas different parts of culture yeah and um memes also kind of follow this power law 
where most things you say will get zero traction. Almost nothing will ever get any traction. But once something gets a little bit of traction, it tends to start to get all the traction. And then you get these massive memes that become underlying cornerstones of our culture. And then you get smaller memes that uh, exist in our culture and bounce around for a little bit uh, for a very short amount of time and then disappear. And I think that that phenomenon is really exaggerated by the internet because of the the way that all the information that we share and all the information that we think comes out into the, the real world. So uh, just an ultimate point of that is, you know, we kind of create reality with the memes we share in, in, in even like a verbal way. Like I'm very conscious of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that, that goes to the idea in Christianity of the logos, which is this idea that we all that the relationship we have with reality is that we speak it into being. And that's the thing we share the same share in common with God, because God spoke the world into being at the beginning of time. And then that's echoed uh, in the New Testament, where it says that Jesus is the incarnation of the divine logos. The thing that created reality at the beginning of time was incarnated in Jesus. And it's something that we all share. And that's how we, co-create reality and you know many many different religions have their own their own version of that and it's in a lot of ways it's archetypal it's this idea maybe there's this deeper truth this deeper metaphysical reality that we co-create reality uh for lack of a better meme and then different belief systems that are partially culturally constructed but also built on top of that underlying neurobiology all of that reflects that underlying reality in the form of a cultural meme in the context of the christian culture that term is the logos um in a lot of ways perhaps that that um that idea is in, encapsulated in um in eastern thought systems sometimes with the term dao that, that you keep referring to the way the way right yeah well the thing is if if you if you believe it or if you've seen it somewhere if you've heard it that jesus went to the east and studied the Tao, and he studied a lot of the uh the hinduism at the time if you believe that saint isa you can look it up uh but yes they're basically energetically he if you can you know Get the esoteric readings on them they're the same thing mm -hmm. yeah i'm well i'm slightly familiar with with uh that theory that jesus went to the east and you know i don't know very much about it but i'm, I'm certainly interested in it you know the, very, the, the you know it's very interesting the missing years you yeah know, exactly where'd they where'd he go both there's there's you know depending if you believe the proof or not he went to the east so i always thought that was fascinating but it depends on i guess what kind of christianity you're being fed uh because a lot of christianity where i'm from which is the south can be very closed-minded and i call it i call it a judgment religion down here because christians down here in the south i'm in florida are doing two things a lot of times and this is me making a judgment but i'm doing it with love but anyway <laughs> so the judgment is that christians a lot of times are not only judging themselves but they're, they're obviously well they're obviously judging other people but they're also judging themselves relative to this impossible uh, 
you know, example. So a lot of it, judgment goes on. Now, I guess if you're a certain kind of Christian, I guess the cross maybe relieves you of some of that. I don't know. But uh, that's what I take away from Christianity and Christians in general, especially in the South. So, um, but that's nowhere where I resonate or vibrate. Yeah. Well, well, you know, it's important. Every person finds their way, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, no, definitely. I mean, I yeah. think that's... Uh, that was a trial I had to go through. Sometimes you can get through that trial. It may be in one life. Sometimes it makes you 500, maybe 500 lifetimes. But you, yeah, there's in, 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 there's other versions of it. And if you believe it, uh, when you die, maybe you go to hell. You go to. Well, I think when you die, sometimes not to just to, to pull off a different subject matter here, but I think when you die, you're 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 going to the place of your you know your energetic belief. Uh, whether you think you deserve a hell, whether you didn't believe in Jesus, whether whatever belief system it is, you're meeting that at the end of this uh, death process. And then maybe you're coming back. Maybe you were enlightened. Maybe you got free. I don't know. Uh, but what we're, before I just took us way off on a tangent there, what were we talking about? I think we were talking about memes. <laughs> oh, well, we can. Another thing about memes, uh, again, not, I'm just going to hijack it again, I guess, but um, I went back and listened, uh, I think, to about four of your podcasts, and it was interesting to hear that you had been making memes prior to the Logo Soup page, and I guess they were comic book memes. Were they Marvel or DC? I think you said DC. But they were I DC. You said, okay, because you're a DC guy, right? I'm a DC guy, for sure. Now, do you actually read the comics, or are you just like, a, I'm, I, to be honest, I'm just a movie guy, and, right. and what, you know what I mean? Like, I love, I've seen right. every single one of those MCU movies, and and all, I've basically seen all the comic book movies, but I've never really actually sat down, and I'm actually 38, so I don't know how old you are if you want to tell that, but um, I, I could have read comic books as a kid, I just never really did. I would kind of look at the pictures, but I've never got into the plot lines. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I, knew the, I know the bad guys and good guys are, but we can talk MCU, though, all day long. Yeah, yeah. Well, to answer your question, uh, I'm 21, and I read a lot of comic books when I was a teenager. Mm. Uh, all throughout high school, I read a lot of comic books. So um, I really like that that uh, area of entertainment. I really like the... I watched most... I watched every DC movie, actually, up until Justice League, because that oh. movie broke my heart so badly. Terrible. Um and I, I used to watch all the MCU movies. I don't quite anymore. I used to consume the media at a much higher rate. Yeah. But I'm definitely a big fan of the, the genre itself. And I really look forward to certain projects. Uh, I wouldn't fall into the wave, man. I, I, I wasn't even a comic book movie. I wasn't even deeply a comic book person until these MCU movies started. And they were all chained together. And then the Infinity War saga started ramping up with all the, the stones. I'm like, oh, my God. So I just went full into the wave. Because the thing was, I, I just started to see, which I've seen a lot of things. But when I, and when I really see it in something in the media or, or a piece of art, I really go into it. And I see resonance in my own life a lot of ways uh, with some of the characters in some of these movies. And every time I will go to a Marvel movie, and I... That that movie's lesson or that character's uh, journey will be so resonant to where I'm at in life. So that's another reason I've been a junkie for these movies is mm -hmm, mm -hmm. relative to my own hero's journey. And you can see this. This is what I mean by synchronicity. You are the you are everything. You are the end all be all. Now, not you need to be humble because you're stuck in this body in this subjective experience. You can't make lightning shoot from your hands. Maybe you can. I don't know. But you have to be humble. But you are at the end of the day. You have at least a co-creation in this reality that's coming at you. Part, right. of it is your, part of it is your karmic propensity, which is you don't have a full control of the manifestation, which is why you're only co-creating. But uh, so these things are in such resonance with my life. Everything is if you can really clear your ego of a lot of things and, and integrate, but you can see that everything is you're creating it. It's resonant with you. And so things like 
things that you're supercharged for, like, yeah, maybe comic books or the mo- these movies in particular for me, I will go and I'm like, oh my God, I know. I, I go not even for, I don't even give a fuck what the actual plot is about. I don't know. I'm going to get something about it that's going to mirror back to me and I'm going to get a lesson out of it or I'm going to get like, oh, okay, that refines what I just went through. This character just went through that same thing. And Thor, a lot of times, has been one of those characters I've been, I've been on the hero's journey with Thor. And I realize now with Iron Man, too, I started with, in 2008, I was at a very specific point where these movies started. A very, the, the, like, really where, the, where, where I, I started basically with Iron Man on this hero's journey. And now, all these trials I've gone through these past 10 years, and I have reached this pinnacle now of co-owning this float center in Orlando, living here, doing all these wonderful things, having this Instagram page, blah, 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 blah. And uh, at a certain point where you reach a certain level of uh, waking up, you're, you're dying to yourself. And so to see him die at the end and uh, you know take one for the team there, that's like a full ego death. So uh, you know he, he saved the, the, the city, the world, the, or his country, everything, and, and then the universe ultimately. So he became one with it. So for me, I sound like a lunatic maybe to a lot of people, but if they look at the, the media they're consuming, they, they're attracted to it for a reason, and it's mirroring back to them. If they know how to look at it, nuances is that they can uh, enrich their life with in a, from a different dimension of just blindly consuming something. So at least that's how I look at things. I mean, it's so obvious to me at a certain level of uh, awareness. It just mirrors right back to you like, oh. Uh, sometimes I won't go because I'm like, I, I don't need a lesson tonight. I don't want to know. <laughs> no, well, well, what you're saying, that reflects in a lot of ways the idea that we have an archetypal underpinning to our mm. reality, to the, the things we experience are all kind of built on the archetypes, built onto the idea that we perceive reality as a story. We remember things as a story. We experience things as a, as a story. Maybe the whole purpose of time itself is to have a mechanism where we can place experience on a continuum, place it into a, yeah. a narrative that a makes narrative. Sense. Yeah. And you know, when that happens, you do perceive uh, you do perceive things as um, as yourself as a, a hero of some sorts, and reality then kind of starts to unfold where people are either an ally or an antagonist, or and yeah. sometimes you learn that. Uh, you learn that your entire judgment of the world was off and that the story you're you're living in is actually different from the story you thought it was. And that's in a lot of ways similar to the idea of an ego death. And I think the alignment of Iron Man with Iron Man's death in Avengers Endgame is something similar to the ego death. Um, you know, they set up Iron Man as a Christ figure where he was he was meant to die for for Daya's kind of the scapegoat for the, yeah. rest of the world, right? Thanos was so explicitly death, right? Basically, it was it was so archetypal and so uh, mythological. Thanos had been a looming presence, and there were all of these mild trials that were happening in the past twenty four movies. But finally, in the last story, death arrives at their door. Death tells him that it's inevitable. And Iron Man, rather than than letting Death take the rest of the world, um, he kind of dies on his own cross. You know, yeah. that in a lot of ways, the Iron Man identity for him was that that crucible that he had to live through to atone for his sins, right? He had created weapons that did so much harm to the world. 
he had to now like save the world with that same that same spirit within him that was harming the world. Wow, you did great service and justice to Iron Man there and Tony Stark. Wow. <laughs> I appreciate that because yeah, I went and saw it three times. And I like again, I'm not one of these twenty something fanboys. I, I just I have a line with these movies from this you know, from the perspective of the hero's journey, because I tell people I'm like, look, your life is basically this. You're this infinite awareness that has agreed to play this game called the hero's journey. And you're the hero of it, and it can activate at any time, or you can activate it. Uh, so that's how I see life now, as uh, I'm a willing participant in the hero's journey. And I don't know where I'm at, actually, on this st- at this stage. I think I'm bringing the boon back from the dark night of the soul. I don't even know where that goes on the thing, but I feel, I don't know. But I feel like there's more, tr- and maybe I'm going to go on another one. I don't know. Like, where are you on the, the hero's journey? Well, one thing... You know, to go back to what you were saying about alignment, right? Everything needs to align. It's entirely possible that you're at many points in the hero's journey concurrently, right? It's almost like the hero's journey is maybe starting and ending at so many points of your life. And each hero that you are at each stage is getting ready to to die like Iron Man did, to sacrifice itself, to bring on the new hero. You know, Iron Man... Another big part of the story of Iron Man is, um, I don't know if you saw the new Spider-Man movie. I saw it twice. Yeah. I, I, I you know, I'm a big Spider-Man fan. And, uh, that was a good one. Happy, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Happy told Spider-Man that he doesn't think Tony would have sacrificed himself if there wasn't a new hero to be better than him. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes the, the hero's journey will unfold in your life perhaps even an infinite number of times in ways that you can't even perceive it happening. Oh, I know it. it you're de- I, I, in the conscious experience. And then as you die, you give rise to the new hero and then the new hero dies. And it, it becomes a constant uh, struggle towards that, that idealized hero. You're right. That's what it is. It's because I'm like, you know, sometimes I feel like the Obi-Wan, but I'm like, I'm too young to be the Obi-Wan character, or the, the, the guy giving the advice, you know, to the guy on the journey. So there's part of that. And yeah, I'm giving the what I've learned back to the people as much as I can. So there's that part of it. And I feel like I'm also still like, you know, in the middle of it. So, yeah, you're right. The, the hero's journey is not this linear. It's all happening right now. You're, you're, you're at this point and that's where you're at. No, it's like you're also this at, you're, at every point. You're, this, you're at all the points. That's what it feels like. So you're playing a part in everybody's hero's journey as well. So you have to play those other characters. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm glad we're, all, I'm glad, I'm glad we're really fleshing this out tonight because I'm really winging it. That's what I, I used to plan. Well, I don't plan for being interviewed, but I definitely plan. Or, or, or actually, if I'm a fan of something as much as I am, I don't need to plan. But uh, interesting enough, a lot of people, when they discovered your account that I was reposting, they said, because uh, I have a bunch of other accounts, but they're like, uh, is, this, is this your page too? The logo suit page. I'm like, no, no, no. I wish it was, but it's not my page. It's really good, isn't it? Because I had a lot of people, they thought it was my page. But uh, yeah, kudos to you. It's really good. And uh, welcome to the, yeah, you're in the, let me ask you this. You're in the psychedelic kind of meme community. Have you ever done any psychedelics? Yes, I have. Care to talk about it? Um. At an ambiguous level, yeah. Let's, t- let's sure. talk about it. Well, I would like to know how much you know. How much would you like to share about that? And what do you think? 
I'll talk anything else. You can ask me any question okay. you want. Literally, well, let me, you can ask me about let anything. Let me ask you this. How do you think they've changed your personality? Well, let's go down the list here. Marijuana has made me a softer person in a good way. I struggle with it now because there's potency levels. And, um, and I struggle with it because also I'm still using it as a patient. I have a lot of physical pain still. And so as much as I don't want to use it and be healed and be, you know, like I don't want to be dependent on something, I struggle with it. So, but ultimately it, it's just, it can be a heavy psychedelic for somebody who is not a normal user, but somebody like, who is a daily user like me, it becomes more like a background thing. Um, but so it's been very useful to me. It has its pros and its cons. Um, I, I would say it has more pros than cons when, when you're using it illegal and in a, in a good setting. So let's move on down the list. So I guess next would be, let's, uh, let's just go like a steps. I feel like psychedelics in general, sometimes somebody will say, Hey man, I just smoked DMT. I'm like, have you done anything else? Like, no. So sometimes you just jump right up to the top, but, um, I feel like there's steps to, I feel like there's levels of psychedelics where, uh, it's like a stepping stone. And so next would be mushrooms. My personal favorite, it's close between that and LSD, but mushrooms are great because they're natural. A B, the duration is really nice. Four to eight hours, depending on your dosage, usually around five to six. Um, you feel amazing the next day. You learn something, and it's very alien. You know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there's something going on outside of your head. or uh, You know what I mean? Like You start to believe in something. Uh, if you don't believe in God or something, you start to think about it for sure, especially on a high dose. Um, there's no doubt. Something else is beyond you out there going on. Uh, okay, so mushrooms. And uh, mushrooms are my personal recommendation for the float tank because, again, the duration, uh, microdosing, and all these things, mm -hmm. mushrooms are just so much more gentler and easier to use. Okay, so going on down the list, I'd say probably for most people, what would pop up next if they need it, which most people, if they're using these kind of psychedelics, w what my general theory on psychedelics is this they appear to people who they have the Dharma for to, to give them to other people, which would be an ex shaman, for example, or maybe somebody like me who uh, has a higher energetic state, they can use these things and kind of explain what, and understand what's going on to help other people, you know, use these things or not. So in general, uh, also, and I suffered this problem, there's a level of thickness that people have uh, with their consciousness. And what these things kind of do is they chip away at you uh, and open you up and shift you. And they just kind of break away the old character that's calcified over time, these layers of uh, beliefs and, you know, food and, you know, all these things, toxins you've taken on uh, physically, mentally, spiritually, uh, these things break up and show you the truth or the untruth of. So moving on down the list would be MDMA. Now MDMA, we're getting into man-made substances here, a little harsher. Uh, the big, the big thing with MDMA you want to look out for is potency. Uh, you definitely, that's potent, uh, mushrooms. You're going to be able to say, okay, this look definitely looks like the mushroom here, especially if you're getting them from someone, you know, mushrooms are pretty safe. Uh, MDMA it's, it's a, it's a, you know, are you getting some meth mixed in there? You better test it. Do you trust your source? Even test it then, you know, test it, test it, test it. It's a harsh substance. If you know, there's all kinds of, uh, set and setting stuff. People use them in clubs, but I always get a maximum experience from doing them in the dark. Again, I recommend if you can handle it, do them alone in the dark or in a very chill setting. You know, set and setting is one of the most important things with psychedelics and also harm reduction, which is going back to MDMA, harm reduction, harm reduction, harm reduction. There's supplements you can take with you know, before MDMA and after MDMA. 
you know, MDMA, you want to wait three months is the recommendation. Uh, the, 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 the shorter you use it or the, the longer you or the, the, the shorter, the least amount of time you wait, the more damage you're going to do to yourself. I can't get that out. Uh, um, so you want to wait a long time between uses because the magic's not going to be there and you're doing damage to your brain. So it's an, it's an amphetamine type psychedelic. Um, it's very harsh, but it opens up your heart. So that's the big thing. Okay. Well, what's the takeaway of this drug? It's the opens up your heart. It really does empathy, compassion. It can take you to that next level for a couple hours and really open your heart. And if you do it right, if you do it under the right circumstances with the right dosage, clean stuff, you will have uh, an effect on you that will last months and can possibly, you can take that energy into the next level of your healing because uh, your heart will be open. You'll be open to things you weren't open to because you're not scared. You're not in a fear state. You're, you're in a loving state, at least temporarily. So you ride that wave into some next level healing. You might go float. You might do yoga. You're open, so you'll do something. So that's the next well, level. Let me, let me jump in right here because there, there are a few points I want to touch on. You were talking about set and setting. Is music a big part of your life? Uh, it is, but w when it comes to psychedelics, uh, I want to go silent because I want to hear what's going on, what it's trying to tell me, and it's mm -hmm. much. Which is why I, this is why the floating where it comes into play. Floating is a big potentiator of psychedelic experience because it does two things. What well, does a lot of things, but what the two big things it does for psychedelics is it. Um, it creates an intense level of stillness in you that is unparalleled. And that stillness allows you to kind of hear what's going on. These things talk to you um, and they, they work with you, you know, depending on your filter of belief is kind of how you interpret them. Maybe they're angels, maybe they're, you know, something from other dimension, maybe they're an ancestor, but your, your filter, your cultural filter, your belief filter is going to kind of be a part of that, but uh, they'll find a way to get you what you need, uh, the psychedelics. And so for me, Music can be super powerful also, like you can have a super powerful experience with music, but to, for somebody who is going in for therapy to know about themselves, I would recommend going silent and definitely, definitely mind your company. You don't want somebody who is a mess. You don't want to babysit. You don't want somebody puking all over you. Mm -hmm. You want to, you know, set and setting is super important and then harm reduction. Certain psychedelics, there are certain things you can take that can potentiate it, that can make it go smoother the day after that can uh, make it more intense. You know, that's what potentiating is. I actually said it twice there. So, um, so going back to MDMA, it's, there's two kinds really out there. There's the pressed ones that are pressed into pills already. They look like, you know, Flintstone vitamins or Tesla's or Superman logos, or I don't know too many of them off the top of my head. Mitsubishi's because I don't do them. I usually get, uh, crystals uh, coming my way which are can look like can be meth can look like meth so that's why you have to test all these things it could be mixed with anything it can be cut with anything but if you can get good clean stuff and do it in a therapeutic setting you can have benefits i recommend it under those conditions only going forward okay so if you've passed all these levels of psychedelic use you one, might be one, sorry one more one more comment and this is about mdma um, are you familiar with the research being done by an organization called MAPS, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies? Yes, and that's where I get a lot of my right. um, methodology and dosage. And that's where I came to know it as a psychedelic or as mm -hmm. a therapeutic substance through the MAPS stuff. So, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, MAPS, MAPS is doing a really great job. Um, and 
you know, there, Maps has been around for a very long time, and there, there's a really big threshold um, of traction a, a substance needs to reach before it can have um, therapeutic viability. And it's very hard for substances that aren't owned by a profit-seeking entity to get the kind of backing it needs to become a, a, a legalized therapeutic. So that became like a very big uh, boundary for psychedelics like MDMA um, for a very long time. Um, I don't know if uh, any drug companies own derivatives of MDMA. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. But, you know, it's it's only now that we're starting to really get a lot of strong clinical evidence that MDMA is a, a very strong therapeutic, particularly in treating post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. And then we're now learning that, um, you know, psilocybin mushrooms and, and, and other drugs um, – that may even have a shamanic history, may have a very deep history as a medicine. Um, we're now seeing them in ways that they can treat addiction and um, and depression and things like that. So it's a very interesting time to be um, to be in this community and interested in this community because it's being, you know, it's really reaching a tipping point in the medical world. Oh yeah. That's why we're here doing this. That's the point. That's why all these people are popping up now. And well, I mean, ultimately, this is going to sound a little egotistical, but we've shifted in this reality because I've chosen to go in this direction. I mean, and you're you you've chosen to go in this direction too. Like you know what I mean? Like I I hope you understand what I'm saying. And it's not coming from an egotistical place, but you can wake up in the morning and you can kind of choose as a vector, and it might take a little bit of time to get somewhere, but. You can choose uh, your reality. I'm going to go this way with with intention. I'm going to step with intention. Uh, you know, it's got to be the next logical step and where you want to go. But you step with intention to wherever that direction is that you want to go. And ultimately, you're going to get in there. You keep holding that mental image because the prayer is this. You hold the mental image of where you want to go. And then the, the stepping of intention is holding it in your heart. You hold that energy in your heart like you already have the thing or you've gotten it or you've got whatever. You've achieved the goal. If you can hold that energy in your heart and hold it in your mind long enough, you'll get there. That's how we're here right now doing this. Because I had mentally held that and walked in this direction for a couple of years now. And we're finally here. And it's only going to get bigger now as I can predict the next step is being bigger. And we're all doing this. So, again, it's not this is not coming from an egotistical place. I want people to know that they're doing this every day. Their mind and their heart are matching the frequency and the energy. And it's all coalescing to make their reality. And if you're living at a fear-based reality, that's what you're getting over and over again. A coalescence of that at every around the corner. And you can choose to go up the energetic ladder uh, vibrationally, up or down, with uh, the next step you're going to take. You know, so, do you stub your toe? Do you get, do you get angry? Or do you, you, do you rest? Can you relax? Because it's just going to get worse and worse. And somebody's going to come around the corner and insult you. And then you're going to insult them back. And then you're going to play ping pong with them. And then the energy's going to rise again. And you're going to go to your job. And it's going to, you know... So you can choose to just relax, step back, let you know, be right or be at peace. Just be at peace. Let him be right. So you you can choose to go up the energy ladder every day uh, by being conscious, and you know, for your thoughts and what you're doing and how you're reacting, and it just over and over again, and you slowly create a gap. And so I'm here to say, get in the float tank because it's a way for lazy people and not lazy people also, but somebody like me who is going to do the bare minimum. minimum uh, you know, that's why psychedelics feel like, oh, I can put a pill in my mouth. Okay, great. But, you know, bare minimum stuff to have maximum, maximum, uh, you know, pay, pay off. It's really, 
Floating and psychedelics, quite a combination. But floating alone, really, go at it sober the first time. The first few times, get a baseline for it. But uh, it's life-changing stuff because you're just going to start having a conversation with yourself at a very deep level. Yeah, well, well, I I could imagine that floating is is a very is is very similar in that sense that you're describing it. You know, you choose to go into this experience, and then you don't necessarily need to force the experience through. You let the experience unfold, and you take it as it comes. And and whatever thoughts come into your mind during that float, you you let it go down the river. You let it yeah you let that experience wash over you, and you learn so much by just the experience happening to you. It's almost like a dream. Like a dream happens to you. You don't necessarily, or you're not necessarily going to force the dream through. Well, well that's how reality is actually happening. At, yeah. a high, at a higher yeah. level, you're witnessing a reality that you actually have no control over except for what the witness is you know, going to judge or you know, how the witness is reacting to what's actually happening. So... Getting in that state of witnessing and backing off, and it's not—it's not dissociating. It's not because um, you're not your thoughts appear from nowhere, but they're really your thoughts, your karmic propensity appearing out of nowhere. You're looking at them, identifying with the thoughts, and then you're going on the ride of whatever the thought is, whatever the emotion is. And so, floating allows a tremendous stillness that allows you to—it's a superpower that allows you to do that without the work. You know, like instead of doing a couple of years of me, real meditation and witnessing you go right to samadhi skip all the other ones go right to samadhi and then work backwards well one time that came to me from my guru it was an amazing thing and i, I already kind of knew it but i was doing it but you can in the eight glimpses of yoga most people spend a lot of time with the ashtanga and the body stuff you know just skip to samadhi and go backwards find the stillness in the mind the master control program get that still get that under control and then the reality works downstream from your mind uh, so you can make a you can make you're, you can make the personal reality that's being witnessed better, and then you can be the witness, and then okay, you're witnessing a better reality A, and now you're the witness B. So it doesn't matter anyway how the A reality is because you've backed up anyway. But all the floating and all the working out and doing all this stuff to make your life better is to just make your existence that you're witnessing better because you don't have any control over how the what's going to come through the door. You don't have control over that, and that's your karmic propensity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, okay, I want to take a few steps back, and this is going to be a question. Um, you, you might want to relate it to your experience on a hallucinogen or something, um, or maybe you, you can relate it to an experience without the use of a hallucinogen. But the question is, have you ever had an out-of-body experience? And if so, how did you feel? What did you feel like your consciousness's role in that out-of-body experience was? Were you an observer? Were you a speaker? Were you a driver? Um, give, give me your thoughts there. Well, this all started with, hold on, I'm going to. Okay. This all started with me, all this float universe, all the floating, all this started with me in a dark spot with my ex-girlfriend. She was gone and I was looking to really like, I'm like, I got to. I, this how did this get like this i got to work on myself i got to find some mental clarity and i could not find i turn everything off and i'd hear all this noise my and oh, but more so the mental chatter and i'm like this is just so i started to get on youtube and do guided meditation videos and hypnosis videos and i'm like well let's see if there's anything to this and 
I think like the first or second time I did it because I, you, I had to sell myself this. I think the first time I, I didn't sell myself on it. I'm like, this is bullshit. So the second time or third time I sold myself on it enough where I was able to cross over and I had kind of just floated right. My body became stiff and I floated right out of it, right above it. It was very quick. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, there is, this is, you know, because before this, let me just back up. I was a materialist. I was a hedonist. I didn't care if there was a God or not. I didn't know if there was a God or not. Completely disconnected from source, living a pure materialistic lifestyle. And I didn't care if I lived or died. Didn't care if there was heaven or hell. Just whatever. So this was profound for me because I'm like, oh, there's another dimension to life here. Forget about the religious uh, over, overlay of what it may or may not be, but there's just another dimension. And I'm like, there's something else going on here besides just living and dying in this material reality. Whether I, whether I go to an infinite void or I go to a hell space or heaven, the point is there's something going on here I have to investigate. So these YouTube videos, I was like having an out-of-body experiences with them. I'm like, this is amazing. So that took me where I needed to like get into meditation and, and that took me ultimately to floating. We won't get into that, but uh, now what was the second part of the question? So what was, so, so actually, so I have another question with regard to your out of body experience. Um, what would you say? Because I, before um, having a kind of out of body experience through meditation as well, um, you know, in a, in a sober state, like a, an uninterrupted chemical state, um, Prior to that, I, I wasn't necessarily um, skeptical that people experienced it. I was more skeptical of what the phenomenon actually is. And I, I still don't know exactly what the phenomenon is, but I at least when I had that first experience, I knew that it was a phenomenon that could happen to a person, right? And I, it was interesting, to, just a, a piece to have that personal confirmation. And what, you know, about the, the actual idea of an out-of-body experience. Well, okay. Well, I've had, I mean, multiple. What, what would you say to someone who is skeptical that those experiences are possible? I'm going to tell you this. You're not your body. You're not your thoughts. You are the awareness that surrounds you, but you've chosen to take space in your skull looking through two eyes. It's been shown to me many times sober in the float tank on LSD. You name it. I'll give you a few examples, powerful examples. I'll give you one in the float tank. One of the most powerful examples ever is of this is a very simple example, and it, but it was profound to me. So I'm laying in the float tank, and I hear a buzzsaw. I'm like, mm, okay, that's crazy. I can hear a buzzsaw in here. And then I, and I'm like, man, I'm fully awake. This is weird. It was a weird sensation. And then I realized, oh, my God, my body is asleep, and that is I am snoring. I go, I am fully aware of my sleeping body. Mm -hmm. So I was inside this float tank, fully aware of my sleeping body. It was crazy. Now, every time I try to leave the tank, the body in the tank, I just fl flip out so much. I, I you know, I, you know, I kind of twitch around, and that the water and all that brings me back. So I've never been able to really truly escape in the tank. So other experiences. So being, so again, the understanding is you're this awareness. And so what the psychedelics actually do is they show you filters of the infinite awareness, meaning, for example, salvia divinorum. You can enter a place called the bug dimension where you can experience the awareness of a bug. Now, salvia is a fantastically horrific to most people, but beautifully bizarre to me, psychedelic, where it's, you know, it's kind of similar to DMT, where it's, you know, five, ten, ten, ten minutes maybe uh, in, in, in an MC Vesher painting or talking to bugs. So 
you go you go into a salvia divinorum dimension where you're you're a doorknob for ten thousand years, but in 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 space of five minutes, you're in the bug dimension. You're you're experiencing awareness, consciousness as a bug. Because one thing you realize, okay, when these gurus talk about rocks having consciousness, you get it because everything is the hologram. Everything, everything, everything is the hologram. Good, bad rocks, animated forms of life, trees. Everything is everything is alive. Now, does it have consciousness? Yes. Even the rocks have consciousness because you realize everything is part of this hologram. So it's alive in the sense that it's electrical. Everything is that. You are, I am, we're all one. We're all all the one thing. It's just you have this awareness as you and you've taken up form behind these two eyes and, and you're calling yourself Logo Soup. And you're convinced that's the case. Most people are fully asleep convinced that they are that avatar that they're playing as. But it's not the case. You are a witness to that. And these meditation practices, the floating, all these things get, create space to really show you that. And so another, I'll, I'll give you another example. So again, because you're this awareness that can ultimately do anything uh, under, under certain chemical filters, LSD is my favorite one to show you oneness. Every takeaway, every time I go into LSD, it's, it is some kind of uh, weird example of showing me that uh, the interconnected nature of reality. Uh, one, one example was this. Uh, I always like to go and get in a closet, smoke marijuana, on the peak of an acid trip it's just fantastical and what always happens is it's always this massive fireworks show of unity consciousness and i'll give you a few examples uh methodology is probably about three or four tabs about three or four hours in three or four bong hits three four three four three four something like that three 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 anyway sound like a lunatic here but i'm just going to keep going so you're in the closet you're on your three tabs you're taking your three bong hits at the peak right three hours in three or four hours in and uh if you have enough stillness inside of you, if you have an, if you've done enough work, if there's enough clarity that something beautiful can come through, and if your state of being is kind of tuned to that dimension, because that's what you're getting, you're getting something relative to your dimension you're tuned to. So if you're on LSD and you're in a dark spot, you're gonna be pulling some dark shit through this portal. So what happens this first time was amazing, where I did my little ceremony, and I did uh, this this entity. I was in a meditative state, and it was almost like void. And this entity came to me and said, how would you like to be a galaxy? I said, great. What do I got to do? Just keep breathing. And I just started to expand and dissolve out of me. And I became to expand more in this ball. I expand, 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 expand. I exploded on one breath and I became a bunch of stars. And every time I would breathe, the stars would twinkle. And I was, I held the state as long as I could because it was profound. And uh, so that was one of the takeaways and again, there was a lot of intention going into this. That I want to stress that that you're really going to get a good look at the undercarriage, what you got going on in that, uh, I guess, unconscious area. That uh, that's why you want to do a lot of work, and that's why you do the work before you go back. And so, anyway, I've done, I'd done a lot of work, and so I'd really put my third eye on God and in a good space. And that's why you get these good experiences. And another one where I was in this sphere of, I, you know, my awareness, I'd pull up to the, they would have little holes in it, and I'd look through this hole, and I was this black guy. I was this Chinese guy or this, you know, uh, uh, whatever. I was everybody. Every time I looked through the hole, I was absolutely me, but wearing the skin of another person. Bizarre. But unity consciousness is like, hey, see, you're everybody. So uh, it's profound. So I've had many experiences to show me beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am definitely not this mind and body, but I am some kind of an awareness uh, that can 
change states via the chemical uh, filter I put over myself or energetically how much I'm pumping through me, meaning yoga, breathing, pranayama, uh, stuff like that. Now, when you think about that relationship that you, that, um, you know, altered states of consciousness, either through meditation or through hallucinogens, when you think about that, that state you can achieve and that perception you can have, what do you feel is your personal uh, localized responsibility with respect to what, with respect to that world you're seeing? Currently, uh, I feel it's my dharma to sit in this space uh, and kind of be a guide to people to say there are benefits, but there are also potential downfalls to these things to be just another person out there because here's what's going to happen. As you can see, as you've already talked about, these things are becoming legal. These things are going to be out there much more in the mainstream. And there are not a lot of people out there that are, I mean, there are, there are a lot of people in the underground, but you know, these things are going to be mainstream. You know, we're going into that dimension and that, whether we like it or not, maybe this is the thing I've created, right? This is what I mean by creating unreality. Be careful what you do. <laughs> Yeah, well, 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 let me let me interrupt there because this is my next question. Are you ever worried that um, your own faults or or uh, m maybe moral or personal shortcomings might might have you pushing the world in the wrong direction by mistake? You know, and how do you how do you if you do ever have that feeling? How ooh, do you try to okay. mediate that? I do think about that all the time. I think about that all the time. And I'll tell you an example of that. I had a guy come in here. Uh, he's doing, it's called Space VR, and they're putting a virtual reality helmet. I did a little interview with him, but I haven't put it out yet. I haven't had time. But he's putting a virtual reality helmet on you in the float tank. <laughs> it is patented, so it withstands the salt, and you are going to get a live satellite feed uh, as you float in the float tank above Earth. So I told the, the first thing I told this guy when I met him was, and he, I don't think he liked the joke, was I said, wow, I'm like, we're, we're really creating the matrix here. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're, we're the, this is the beginning steps of the matrix where we've got, because the, the thing Neo wakes up in is essentially a float tank with food, food, food feeding tubes. You know what I mean? So he's, he's getting fed this program called the matrix through a virtual reality headset in a, in a, in a float tank, basically. And I've always been aware of that. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, am I helping usher in something like that, some science fiction, some Philip K. Dick nightmare? Uh, so I think about it all the time. I'm getting goosebumps talking about that. But I, here's, here's, how I, here's how I ultimately work with this stuff and put myself in a spot where I can sleep at night is these things are out there. People are going to do them whether I'm a part of it or not. I know they have a potential good use. All, all these things, everything, I think, it's a, it's a yin-yang situation. There's a two sides of the coin. I think some of these things are really potentially damaging. If they're used wrong, LSD and MDMA come to mind immediately because they're the most man-made and they're the most, I think, physiologically damaging to the system energetically. And I'm not going to have any science behind this when I say this, but uh, you know, I feel like LSD will blow up in your energy channels that are needed. And then you'll get to a point spiritually, energetically, where it's damaging. And I'm, not to say that I've reached that point, but I'm very close. Where it's not comfortable, it's not fun, I'm not getting anything out of it, I already know the story. It could show me, it could show you, it could show me wondrous things, but there's a toll. There's a cost to the wisdom 
And so that's why mushrooms are much more pleasant. Uh, MDMA, I, I won't use it anymore at all. I've, I've, uh, my ticket to ride there is expired and gladly because I'm sitting in, uh, for the most part, a pretty ecstatic, blissful state. So I did it last time and it was just glossolalia for like three hours. I'm like, no, 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 I'm good on this. It was like glossolalia, me just like, uh, you know, speaking tongues and regurgitating, you know, all these books I'd read, all this, all these things that now, all this stuff just blah, 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 for like three hours to myself. I'm like, I don't need to do this shit anymore. But I'd say you get about five to six good rides on it if you spread it out right. Because one of the classic things with MDMA you'll read is you, it loses its magic, and it absolutely does. Either you've damaged yourself to the point where there's no magic available, or you've gotten to the point where you're already embodying the magic. And I'm getting goosebumps on that one, so that's a fact. It goes one way or the other. So use it wisely. Make sure you test it. Next question. Well, this is great. Um, so here's a here's a question still along these lines. Do you ever feel that and and this kind of this I rem I was reminded of this question based on what you were saying about um about regurgitating all these things you read. Do you ever feel like you don't um, you don't have the right to espout the wisdom that you didn't learn yourself? No, no I, I do. And here's what I'll say to anybody. When you embody something, then you can, you can transfer it to other people. Then you'll want to. So, yeah, there is a point where you do feel like a sham. For me, a lot of these things I, had, I acquired after the fact, meaning I was having experiences that I needed to be like, what the hell is going on here? And so in my quest to understand what was happening to me, I was finding uh, potential things that were overlaying nicely. I'm like, okay, this seems like a map to, I'm like, basically everybody's like having these same kind of situations here. And everybody, but also everybody's having them differently. Like enlightenment can be a completely instantaneous thing or it can be years. I mean, ultimately it's like lifetimes and lifetimes and lifetimes to the goal. But you know what I mean? Like it can come on instantly or not. But uh, what, what was the question? I'm, I'm totally just meandering here through just... Oh, um, oh, back to the Matrix thing, though. I, I do worry about um, influencing young people with psychedelics a lot, too, um, which is why I have to play. I have to find a way to make humor out of, uh, you know, responsible use and downsides, uh, you know, and that was been my big thing with marijuana is there's a downside. Potentially, it's not all fun and games. It's not going to solve all your problems. It's not going to heal everything. But I'm tremendously thankful to marijuana. I'm not. I'm in a balanced spot with it. I still use it, and I love it, and uh, I, I, I still work with it a lot, and I'm, I struggle with it still too, but not like I used to. So just be careful, and uh, I yeah. But I worry about kids using LSD. Kids LSD can trigger paranoid schizophrenia if it's latent in you. So be very careful. I mean, it may come out one way or the other, but let's not uh, you know pull it out on purpose. Yeah, well, well, look, we don't really, you know, we're we're starting to discover that you can have tremendous healing from hallucinogens. Yeah, that, that's partially a discovery of our culture, partially a a fact that we knew for a very very long time throughout the world's shamanic traditions, and then also partially the discoveries of of clinical psychology, yeah. and now you know neuroscience is really playing with psychedelics and hallucinogens and drugs in a more broad sense but we still don't really know the full phenomenology and yeah. effect of these drugs and it's you know people should really really consider that 
uh, what, what, when they're thinking about doing any drugs. And anyone who's below, you know, really, you, you should be fully developed. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. For a male. I agree. Uh, before they ever use any drugs. I um, agree. We just don't know how high the cost could be. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the thing is, I just feel like I'm in this space to make sure. Because, again, if, if you're the center of creation and your judgments are what play, what's playing out as reality, I still hold judgments with these things. And I, as I work with them, it's like, am I, am I doing the right thing here? But they're, thing, they're things that are natural, like mushrooms that are like peyote, all these things are like, okay, well, these are put here for a reason, I think. You know, God, if, if reality is perfect, God is perfect, then, yeah, you can. But there's certain things like LSD. It's like, man, that's a man-made thing. And how far have we gone? Have we gone too far? And there's obviously research chemicals beyond that. But, yeah, I worry about that all the time. But. As long as I sit in my space of knowing, because here's the thing, at the end of the day, for me, the truth is, and I cannot escape this with all the other stuff. You can get there without the psychic dogs, absolutely. Maybe you're lucky enough to get there without them, but I haven't. I wasn't. This is my story. This is my truth. And my truth is they helped me tremendously. They've taught me so much about myself, about the nature of reality. I've been, I, again, I think it's my dharma to use these things because I've been put in such a particular circumstance over the past five years to have access and this float center and this journey I've had with these memes and all these people, this community. So I'm extremely thankful. I feel like I need to still hold this space because they're coming out, they're coming bigger. Uh, we need people like me that hold an honest, you know, because here's the thing too. I'm not fully a proponent. I'm not, I don't have a, a, a financial horse in the race right now i don't think i will either maybe floating but uh, that's helping people without drugs um but there are people who are totally pro 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 whatever because they have a vested interest in that uh financially at some point psychedelics or marijuana so i get it but uh they you need truth tellers and you need people who are trying to come from a space of love and compassion and i think ultimately the psychedelics are going to take you there that's the beauty of the psychedelic community. Like people that are truly psychedelic, they realize they're one with the universe. Like truly psychedelic people are givers. They give, 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 give. That's one thing I guess about the float community as well. They get it. It's, it's purely psychedelic. The floating community are the most giving people I've ever encountered ever, period. So it's a beautiful reflection of myself to see this community of people. I mean, I think we're at 5,000 float centers now across the world. Um, so it's a tremendous thing. That's awesome. Uh, and I totally agree that once you're, once you're reaching a point in understanding and appreciating um, the position you have in, in the world, you know, knowing that, you know, if you're going to be here, you should really do something worthwhile. And then also that if you're not careful with yourself and careful with the things you say and the things you do, and you're not honest and truthful and, and kind of brave, you could actually inadvertently make things worse and that's probably you know that's you, you got to always be aware of that yeah you can but you can always step right into grace too i truly think yeah. you can always come right back into grace the minute you realize that you know nothing that's all the universe wants to really i think uh, get you to admit is you're not the doer yeah well 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 you know in christianity there's this idea that um you can always get another chance, but you have to be forthright about your shortcomings. You know, you can always confess your sins. Truthfully, yeah. And when you, right, and when you truthfully confess your sins, you'll always get another chance. But you can't get that other chance. You know why that is, right? You, you're open to the, to the, to your faults. Yeah, you know why that is though, right? You know why that, you know why energetically that happens? 
You know why that is? Because uh, truth, bliss, is the substratum of reality. And as soon as you're willing to open up the gate to that, it floods right in. Uh, it's The truth is what really, it's all that exists. It's your bullshit on top. And yeah, when you're willing to take your bullshit off the table, the truth is right there. So you're always able to get that second chance anytime you want, anytime you want. You can heal. You can get the truth. You can, you know, you know, as long as you're willing to let go and, uh, yeah, let God give you the truth and uh, be free. So, yeah. No, I, I'm, I come from a, a huge Christian upbringing. So not a Catholic one, but a non-denominational, you know, Southern thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How would you describe um... – you know, you, you touched on it before in a, a pretty critical way, and I, you know, I don't blame you. Um, I'm, I'm interested in that criticism and that that personal experience with Christianity in the South. I've had a very um, most of my experiences with Christianity are in a Catholic setting. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to a, I was I was baptized and I went to a Catholic school for um, seven years, and. Now I'm at a I'm at a, a university that's not Catholic, but I hang out with a lot of the Catholic people. I, I partake in the Catholic club on campus. And you know, it's it's interesting because um I've met a lot of people that weren't super straight edge Catholic, especially in high school. Like most people were Catholic, but most people, you know, they they weren't so straight edge. Um and I never got the impression that any of them, um, I don't know, I, I never got the impression that any of them were judgmental. Um, yeah, let's say I, let's say that I never got the impression that any of them were judgmental. And, you know, now I hang out with the Catholic club at my university and I figured that they would be more judgmental because they're they're really straight edge, like really all of them. They play by all the rules. Um, and sometimes I feel like an outsider among them. But the judgment I get from them is never like a hurtful judgment, I find. I find right. that whatever judgment I get from them is a very like um, Jesus hung out with the sinners and we're yeah. the sinners. Like just as much as you're a sinner, like we are too. But they're very, um, they're very forthright about what they think is right and wrong. And, you know, I don't always agree with them about what's right and wrong because I feel certain things like – I feel certain things are a little different from what the traditional um, – through the traditional, the orthodox beliefs of Catholicism. Um, but I, I kind of respect that all of them will say what's sinful even if I disagree with what is. Um, and I respect that all of them have a a very positive mean meaning behind everything, and and they're really honest with themselves when they sin too. So I think it's interesting. I think that, um, based on my experiences, I think that maybe Catholicism and Christianity get too much criticism in our culture. But I'm always very interested in hearing that criticism because I also know a lot of people that were raised Catholic that really. Um, think that their Catholic upbringing did more harm than good to them. Well, that, well that's the takeaway I've been usually uh, given uh, when I'm around people who are been, you know, grown up Catholic is, uh, you know, yeah, more harm than good, and uh, they don't go anymore, and it's like basically like a dead thing. 
So it's, you know, but what I was going to say was it's interesting to hear such a lively Catholic. Because <laughs> I do weddings. Oh, I don't still do them, but I did weddings for 10 years, and I do every once in a while some Catholic weddings. And those were, like, the most boring ones, it seemed. You know, long and just uh, uh, very formal and, yeah, you know, too too many rules, too many rituals. We No band playing the the top 40 Christian hits up there, that's for sure. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Did but, you uh, find that... Um that the the positive aspects you know if when you think of like some of the positive things about the christians you know oh well yeah you find that one of those things might be that they're they're a little more life-affirming than the catholics you've met in those catholic weddings because yeah well big criticisms of christianity and i you know i think he's really one of the you know, I really, I really like Christianity, but I also really like Nietzsche. I, I always laugh when I read him. I think his criticisms are so, um, are just so brutal and so funny. And his way of delivering these things uh, are kind of an embodiment of, you know, how he thinks people should live differently from Christianity. And one of those criticisms was that he didn't like the doctrine that you get what you want in life after you die he believed that people that we need a more life-affirming mm. way of viewing the world one that that we really make the most and really love um the experience we get to have here because that's the experience we know we get well i'll tell you here's my christianity and you can gut every, you can gut all of christianity as far as i'm concerned except for the words in red you know what i'm talking about <laughs> i think i do just Jesus's words, all you need. Everything else is extra. If you want to go that route, it's all mentation. It's all mind stuff. It's fine. Uh, go for it. I mean, you can find all anything. Hinduism, Taoism, I can do the same thing. Uh, it's all mentation. It's all. It's all somebody's experience that happened years, thousands of years ago. That somebody, a, a civilization, a, a culture has coalesced around and has just vectored out into what we've got today, which is you know Tammy Faye Baker on TV, you know shit like that. So. Uh, where are we from that, you know, 2000 years ago? And then you look at the, I mean, I I have a history major. And so I spent a lot of time dealing with Christianity myself from the perspective of just the literal, you know, the truth of what happened of, okay, there's the teachings of Jesus and they they, they may or may not happen. I believe they did. Uh, And they, at a certain point were hijacked by, you know, Constantine and then the the Nicaea or Trent, I can't remember which one it was. And then there's a real, you know, they, 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 they take the, the Taoist and the the oneness part of it and the love part of it to a degree, and they really take the power. The church takes the power, and then the, and they say, "You got to go through us now. You can't have a direct thing with God." So I don't know. I, I had a lot of time, a hard, 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 hard times with a Christianity post. Uh, I, I think it's Nicaea or Trent. I can't remember which one it was, but there's one where they really got it. They really got Christianity and changed it around. So. Well, on that note of what you're saying right now, um, my biggest criticism, I would say, and I think this is actually if, if someone were to ask me the biggest criticism I have of my Catholic friends in terms of their mindset and their view of Christianity, um, I think that they're, I think that many Catholics I know and the church more broadly um, does a disservice to what the culture of Christian Catholic uh, mysticism should be. Well, that's yeah, what I mean. There, there was once a much richer culture of mysticism. That's what I mean, yeah. 
and 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 then you got Luther trying uh, to to take a little bit back from the Catholic Church there, but uh, yeah, the mysticism, a lot of that ends at a certain point, and uh, that direct relationship and going to church and paying your tithe, all that stuff has to happen, and then again, uh, then Luther comes along, and then here we are today with uh, you know Joel Osteen. So uh, everything changes and morphs around, and but uh, the 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 beautiful thing is the underlying truth of all basically all the religions is the same. I think that's I think that's true in a lot of ways. I think that's true in a lot of ways. Hey, let me let me ask you this because you know I have I have a pretty um, I would say non orthodox like view of reality and God and all of these things, um, and it seems to me like you do um, in a way too. Not not necessarily unorthodox, more personal. Like you've thought about these things and you have certain intimations about what might be true. Um, when you think about what God is and the relationship God has with reality and the physical world that we kind of inhabit, whatever that world is, do you think it's possible um, it's within your understanding of God's ability to maybe have a son and be incarnated in the form of his own son? Like in that kind of that kind of holy trinity, like when yeah. you think about that. Here's my perspective on Jesus. Yes, son of God, but you are also the son of God. And Jesus also says, we all are, but Jesus also says, even the least amongst you will be greater than me. Okay? So Jesus is running his, you know, extremely high technology consciousness, you know, through the Stone Ages, basically. And he's, he's truthful. Relative to where he was then, we have that capability now. Like, as an avatar, somebody running at the highest level of consciousness, God's literal son at the highest form, yes, absolutely. He walked the earth. The teachings are true. Uh, and he's right there with Krishna. He's right there with Buddha. The, the, the highest level avatars, the, you know, their truth is so powerful, it uh, stands the test of time. That's what you want to, you want to know how, you know, the, the power of truth, look at the religions. They, they stand, the, the core of the stuff, because it, it's truth. Truth is, existence is reality. And so that true truth, that objective truth, which is the Tao, which is Hinduism, which is all these things, Christianity, Jesus's words, that's the Taoism. If you, they're, they're, they're right there. So um, there's, there's energetic truths. They're, they're energetically true. It's just as simple as that. That's why they stand the test of time. And on certain levels of frequency, there are, the texts become illuminated. That's one thing I've learned on psychedelics and meditation and floating. You can get on LSD and you can open the book of John and you can get illumination in that text like you would not believe. You can get all kinds of meaning out of it that were just it just wasn't there before. You weren't you weren't illuminated to get that higher dimensionality that's right there on the pages. Do you have a favorite Bible story? Oh I like the book of Job. That's a good one. That's a very good one. An old testament one there. Uh let's see. I like uh I like a lot of the Old Testament ones. Um, I like a, a, a lot of Jesus's, uh, I can't remember if I'm going to tell this one right, but it, there's a leper he doesn't heal. And, the, and the, you know, wh why? Why doesn't he heal this woman? And I think the story is Jesus asks her, and I don't even think this is in, this isn't like, a, anyway, I can't remember I read it, but anyway, he won't heal the woman. And he's, she's like, why? And she And he's like, you know, you haven't learned anything, so die and know yourself in death. So the whole thing is, like, he would have healed her had she had, you know, she would have healed herself ultimately, but he would have healed her had she had learned why she had acquired the ailment, why she had become diseased. 
So uh, it's, I think that's one of the most powerful stories for me in the Bible is the woman that Jesus doesn't heal. And then it's only illuminated, that was illuminated on LSD, that, you know, he's not helping this person because she hasn't learned. Uh, so she has to die and then maybe come back or know it in death. You know, like why, why she had the leprosy. I don't know, because this is a profound thing. At the core of all your suffering, your ailments in this material realm, whether it's your body or your physical existence somehow, your wealth or something, it's related to your spiritual uh, well-being. And if it's an empty, dry well, it's an empty, dry, hurting, painful reality. And so what, I, what my story comes down to is this. Uh, I reached a level of point, uh, a point in my life where the pain was unbearable and on all levels. I lost my money, I lost uh, good, good relationships, and I lost my, a lot of my physicality. And I said, I can't live like this. I was smoking so much weed, and I started to find floating. And I came across this thing that said, I can't remember if it was a Wayne Dyer book or something, but uh, there's a spiritual solution to every problem, every problem. And I'm like, okay, okay. You know, and as you ask questions to the universe, if you're honest and seeking help and answers, it give it to you. And so this is, like these, these, they, this is all these things come to me. Everybody at a conscious level, that's all happening. So this, this idea, this book, I can't remember, I'm pretty sure it was a book, and you know, there's a spiritual solution to every problem. So I'm like, all right, I got that, I, I understand that. And so I started to, I said, let me understand the spiritual solution. I said, I'm working on the level of the physicality, which is like, that's the last level. You know, I'm on the, that's the level of the movie on the screen, I need to get to the projector. So uh, I got to the projector by going into the float tank and, 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 and asking very deep spiritual questions with psychedelics, like, why am I like this? Why do I, why do I have pain? Why do I direct these people? You know, my own, it's relative to my own subjective experience, but you can ask yourself these own, your own questions to your pain and suffering. Why, how did I get like this? And long story short, through floating and psychedelics, I was able to solve the spiritual problem. I was able to uncover it and rip out the knot and heal it. And I, I, I experienced the benefit of the reality healing around it. So it's very true that, uh, you know, what was the, uh, such a tangent, what was the original question? I don't remember. But yes, uh, uh, your favorite Bible story. Oh, the favorite Bible story. So yes, you 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 have to learn what your problem is, and you you can heal it. You you will either if you if you ask the hard question of what am I doing wrong here spiritually? I don't know God, higher power, universe, whatever you want to call it, Jesus. I don't know. That's all it's waiting for. Is you don't know. You're not the doer, so you don't know, and you let go. And it may take a week, it may take instantaneous, but the phone will ring, or you'll get excited about floating, or you'll meet somebody. And if you can let go enough and you're already there, you're going to get pulled into that first level of healing. And so, for example, it's the, if it's the float tank, you relax and you say, okay, you see all the problems in your mind and you can start working. And you say, oh, I need to work out. So I start working out. I need to eat better. So I start eating better. Oh, guess what? You're an amalgam of your five closest relationships. At one point, they were all people who were uh, not necessarily bad drug dealers, but people who are in the realm of selling drugs. And I'm like, this is an amalgam. This is me. I'm, I'm a drug dealer in a, in a sense here. So I'm like, this is not good. I need to change my five. You know, let, me, let me change some of these people out here. I don't want to be an amalgam of five drug dealers. So anyway, all these things pre present themselves in your mind when you're in this clear state. It's like you're opening up your mind's computer browser or a computer, and you've got all these tabs open you can close. So anyway, that was... Uh, that was why it's so important to tell that story, that you can, uh, Jesus or whatever is not going to come and help you until you figure, you, you figure out how you acquired it in the first place. That's the point of this life is to unfuck yourself. And then you're free. You, and then you become really free. Uh, 
so yes, that's why I'm here to bring back from my dark night of the soul this information. Do you think that do you think you're gearing up for a worse time? An even darker night ever? Uh, I think there might be one more. Um, as maybe the ultimate level of enlightenment is approached in some way. I don't know, but uh, I feel like I'm I'm free of suffering no matter what comes on because I'm not fully embodied in this you know, body. I'm witnessing it, and it only becomes more and more. Um, what's happened to me recently is all these things are happening outside of my body, meaning my, my awareness is kind of locked out. Like, and this realize you realize that you really have no control at a certain level. This is the truth that you're actually witnessing all the time, and you're actually not moving your body around. Like, you're just witnessing a thing that's running on its own, and it's scary. And so, as you kind of awaken more and push back as this witness, what's happening to me is I I'm doing things that my my karma is forcing its its body to do, and I cannot get into my I cannot embody my body to stop. It's like I'm witnessing myself doing something I would not do. Um, and I'm not going to give any examples of it because it's been not traumatic stuff, but things that like, okay, I'll give an example. I almost have to give an example. So I've been trying to get uh, in a space with my ex where we could be friends but not have those feelings, and it just wasn't happening. And uh, long, 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 long time of going back and forth, years of going back and forth in the space of friendship but not, not quite being together, and, and I couldn't move on because I, I want to know the truth. And so I haven't been with anybody at all until I know the truth of all this other stuff because I know that the, the girlfriend who's going to mirror that is going to be this mirror of truth. That's another story. So I'm trying to get rid of this. Uh, damn, what was I talking about? Oh, my ex-girlfriend, right? Why was I talking about that? <laughs> I forgot why I was talking about that. Oh, marijuana. I knew this was going to happen at one point. I went, so, I went so long without doing this too. I did it. I did it. This is why I don't do my podcast, by the way. Until I get sober, I just lose it. Mm. What we talk? What was I talking about? Because I, I know you're not. Well, I, I, know, I, I know you're sober. I know you're a good listener. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I had asked you if you thought that maybe you were gearing up for a worse. Oh, time. I don't. I don't think so. I think I'm. I think massive things are going to happen in a good way, and hopefully, there. I'm not riding such a wave that there has to be an inverse downside to that. You know what I mean? Like, what happens is now when I when good things happen to me, I don't get super excited because energetically. There's an inverse to that, right? So if you have a high, there's going to be a low. You're, it's a wave. It's just that's how it is. And so for me, as I approach these super energetic, potentially situations I get caught up in, I stay centered. And so I don't jostle around like other people do on these waves of emotion. You know what I mean? So not yeah. Well, I, well, not. So I'm sorry to interrupt you. Not to denigrate anything else you've said today, but I think that that might be the best piece of advice. That I, that's the piece of advice that really resonates with me the most. Which was what everything you said about you know every energetic state has an inverse, and oh, yeah. whenever you're in a high a high energy situation, even if it, it even if you think it's going to be great and work out so well. Um, you need to stay centered. And it reminds me of a few things. The first being a, a Taoist proverb. It's a story of a farmer. And let me try to get this right. And then I'll let you say something. Um, Is it the maybe story? It's the maybe story. That's my favorite one. It's a great one, man. Uh, so, so there's a Taoist farmer. And one day 
Do you remember better than me? Because I might stumble. Let me around. let me see if I can remember. I'm gonna not even gonna pull the computer. I'm gonna see if I can remember this. Okay, let's see if I can do this, Garrett. Come on now, let's do it. Okay, so there's a Dallas. There's a farmer, and he's on the edge of town, and he has a horse. And one day, he's shooing the horse, and uh, no, he the horse runs away, and the neighbors come by and they're like, oh, this is unfortunate. And he's like, maybe. And so the next day, or a couple of days, I can't remember. The horse comes by, and there's other horses coming with the horse. He, the horse that has run away has brought extra horses, wild horses, to the back to the farmer. And the people come by, and they're like, oh, this is great luck, huh? You know, the, the horse came back, and he brought other ones. And the guy's like, nah, maybe. Maybe, you know? And so the story goes along, and maybe another day, maybe a week. The son, the farmer's son, is now shooing the horse trying to shoe the horse and the horse injures the son kicks the son the son is injured and bedridden something like that and the, the the neighbors the townspeople whoever they come by and they see this misfortune has happened and they oh how misfortune this is terrible isn't it now this good fortune is turned on you and he's like no 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 maybe maybe he hasn't he, there's no judgment right he's not made a judgment yet and so again it goes along another day a week whatever and military conscriptors come by, conscriptors, yes, they come by and they're looking for people that they can bring into the armed forces, young men. And because the son is now injured from the horse, he cannot serve. This is great fortune, right? This is what the neighbors say that they've been saying, good or bad, the farmer continues, maybe. And I think that's the end of the story. That's exact. That's perfect. You told that perfectly. Well, that's good because I did, I did not cheat on that one either. So I'm impressed. I'm impressed. It would have taken me at least maybe three tries to get it perfect. So, so I'm impressed. But I love that story. And I think that that story is a really important piece of wisdom for a lot of people. And I think that might be the, the piece of wisdom I might have to start thinking about the most in my life right now. Well, yeah, things are just going to come and go. And another uh, this is a good one. This is a Wayne Dyer piece of advice is... And I don't even know if it's his advice. He got it from someone, I think. But would you rather be right or be at peace? And I'm always going to choose peace because even if I'm right as rain and I know it, what I, what, what am I, I going to sacrifice my peace for that small victory? You know, some bullshit. And most people are getting in arguments and losing their peace over things that aren't important. Trump, not important. It is important, but it's not important. Uh, stuff like the MCU, you know, endings of movies. That's not important. Be wrong. It's okay. It doesn't even exist. It's not real. You know, who cares? But living in peace, you know, again, once you get, once you taste the nectar of God or bliss consciousness or whatever you want to call it, divinity, all you want to do is chase that high. That's the ultimate high. That's why I'm doing all these things. So I'm like, I got to clear the table here. I got to do whatever it takes to sit in this state as much as possible for myself and for other people and so again going back to service to yourself is great it will take you it'll take you a distance and it might not be as you know might be pretty painful but service to other people that's actually service to self as well because we're all one that's a tricky little thing there but it's the truth we're all one so just give away give away you don't you don't have anything to lose so anyway i'm thankful that we are all uh finding each other online and yeah, so let me ask you, so you found us through psychedelics, but what, uh, if, if you're willing to talk about it, I'm interested, 
have psychedelics shown you anything about the Jungian stuff uh, that has proven it true or false in your experience? So the, the thing about the Jungian stuff is that it's a very kind of complete theory in a lot, you know, in a lot of ways it's not complete, but in a lot of ways Jung has so many writings that have covered so many topics. And based on those topics, it's almost like a, like an interpretive lens, like a, a form of kind of even literary criticism that you can take along with you in life and kind of look for the um, psychological, psychoanalytic um, underpinnings of what you're perceiving. So I think it's, I don't, I would say that there have definitely been, um, I've had uh, psychedelic experiences that make me more confident in the validity of some of the Jungian theories. And then I've also taken that Jungian theory in as a way of making sense of all of it. And I think that that's been a really good, um, a good tool to take into different experiences that also helps you make sense of all of it and it helps you um it, i think it provides a good reference point to where you are and the role you play in all of this you know in the jungian idea it's that in in the jungian uh framework the ego is kind of the center of experience it's not even necessarily the center of con of of you but it's the center of your experience and yes. You need, even if you have intimations of a of a transpersonal ego, even if you have that ego death, it's important to always uh, always recall that for whatever reason, reality has formed in such a way that you yourself are a localized consciousness. Yeah, it's important. It, it is it, very it important. To remember that. For, yeah, there's, it helps. There's prevent, a reason. Right. It helps prevent what you called ego inflation, where. Um, someone that is focused on altered states of consciousness might um, start identifying with consciousness as such, where, uh, unlike it, rather than consciousness as a localized thing. Well, that happens to me all the time. Sometimes I am the awareness in the room, and sometimes I am straight up, without a doubt, in my pain body experiencing myself fully. I, 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 I is a definite existence and then then there's parts where it's i am not there i'm in laughing fits for hours on no on no drugs or anything just blissed out I mean, there was like the whole eckhart tolle of just sitting on a bench for hours and just wandering around doing nothing that was me for like years so it's kind of stabilized now uh now that i'm in a float center but uh, i do yeah you can uh you can get caught up in thinking which is why it's, you have to get it into the heart eventually, uh, into that mental space on psychedelics. You can get caught up in there, dangerously caught up in there. And you do kind of create your own reality. When you do those things a lot, they're very powerful tools in manifesting the reality faster, quicker, harder, stronger. I mean, it proves. LSD proves you create your own reality through your mental state. Uh, so I've had fun with it where I'm sitting there and I'm like, am I thinking? Am I seeing in my mind's eye what's coming next, meaning I'm psychic? Or am I creating it and then it's happening? Because I would sit there and I would be peeking and I would, I would have a thought and I'd change the channel and there it was. The thought kind of manifest on the next channel and then I'd change the channel and same thing. And I'm like, am I, am I predicting it or am I creating it? 
I never was actually ultimately able to decide. I think I was just uh, witnessing something that already existed in that time and space um, that, I, that, I, I, that I didn't create it. Do you think that maybe you're both witnessing and creating it? That's a tough one. Um, I think so. I don't so. even know what that would mean. I'm just thinking. Oh, no. Oh, no. But you're, for me, that's a very valid question because, again, I, 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 there's, this, I guess, a super state above your ego where you're not quite fully meshed into the oneness. But uh, I don't know. I balance between the two states a lot. And if I wasn't grounded in good spiritual teachings of understanding that you got a lot of stuff you can't get caught up in, it's all mental stuff. Everything is created by the mind. And so when you're entering the astral realm, these are just powerful, powerful entities of your mind ready to play against you. And if you're in the lower astral realm, meaning you're in a dark spot, it's going to be a tough game. But if you're in the heavens, if you're in the higher astral realms, you might get caught up in that bullshit too, but at least they're helpful. The thing is, it's all a trap. All of, Everything is a trap of the mind. It's like we're going to go, we're trying to get to the garden at the house of God. And inside the house of God is like oneness and fullness of the experience. But God's garden and the driveway, all this shit is so spectacular. I love the women. I love God's statues in the driveway, man. When I'm driving up to God's house, I'm still stuck in the garden looking at the statues. So, you know what I mean? Like everything is a distraction. So tarot cards, astrology. Does it have a space relative to your mind state? Absolutely. Does it manifest relative to what may be coming up, relative to where your energy's been going? Yes. But you'll get caught up in that thinking that's the end-all, be-all, and you got to keep going. And that's the danger of psychedelics. They can be helpful to a point. And I guess if it's your karma in this life, you may not get past it. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. I'm not, I don't think I'm stuck. I think I'm here to give you this message that from the spiritual teachings, from my literal experience, and uh, putting it all together, I want people to know that they can help you, but they can also trap you, and they can hurt your body. They can destroy your mind if you're not careful. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what I'm here to do is to just be this uh, person who's done it. Because a lot of people tell you not to do it, and they've never done it. So there's that. I don't listen to anybody to tell me to do something they've never done. Unless it's obviously something like don't shoot yourself in the head. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I'd say that's an important distinction. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, so a few things have come to mind in, in the past um, few exchanges. So you were asking me about um, the way the Jungian framework helps in interpreting psychedelic states. And, and I think it's most... Um, I think the way it comes out, the connection between the things is almost more perceptual. How do I how do I phrase this? Um, I you, well, you get you, you get a visual trip as as opposed to a energetic knowing. I think that the visual trip kind of waves and corresponds and becomes something that's related to the archetypes. Like I think when you see something that you place, I think that in a, in a, an altered state on hallucinogens, it might be common for people to perceive um, geometry and uh, distortions that may directly correlate with the archetypes, some kind of pattern um, that represents what that archetype means 
um, differentiate and, and it filters into your perception in the form of these visuals and these fractal images. And I think that that's a, a really interesting experience when you kind of, so for example, one, um, one pattern is kind of scales. I don't know if you've ever seen um, visuals where something almost looks scaly. Yeah. And I think that that, and, and it's partially because of your emotional state sometimes if you experience that. But in a lot of ways, I think that those scales versus maybe other fractal patterns um, are a direct extension of maybe like an artistic representation of the archetype deep within your psyche. And then on, along the lines of these fractal patterns and how they emerge in your perception, and what they and how they ha seem to have like a, a direct meaning, you know, these patterns, for whatever reason, have a direct meaning. Yeah, they're, um, pa they're patterns of your psyche. Right, right. And then they they're they're manifested perceptually in geometry. And then I think it's also I think the same principles of these. Um, and this is this is something I, I didn't really appreciate about life. Um, before prior to using uh hallucinogens but it seems like all of these things um the 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 geometry that you see in architecture which is something i've always appreciated i, I love architecture um but the the patterns that emerge in architecture and in fractal systems and in music and in mathematics and all of these things there's a kind of a congruency between all of these um all of these intensely meaningful patterns oh yeah i mean we didn't get to dmt but that's um pretty much at the there's lots of ones that are on the scale that we yeah, didn't talk about right. but basically the ones that people are going to get their hands on are marijuana psilocybin mushrooms uh mdma lsd i mean some people get peyote i haven't had a chance to but it's there but then the next step would be dmt slash something like salvi but dmt i think is the top of the mountain and what's interesting about dmt is if you've been there you recognize that a few things are true alex gray's paintings are, are of a real place there's that mm -hmm. and then if you're familiar with islamic art you're like wow they've been here before too this is the dome this looks just like the dome and whether you get to the dome via breathing or dmt uh you know smoking it or ayahuasca and that's another thing it, about archetypes. Yes, there's a collective archetype we all share of uh, patterns out there. But what's interesting about psychedelics is the the archetypes of the psychedelic experience with uh, exist within the uh, experience of this particular drug. For example, uh, ayahuasca, you're encountering all kinds of you know five thousand years of Native American uh, you know snakes and uh, art you know like uh, Incan and Aztec stuff like that. And then, like, for example, uh, LSD is an interesting one. It's a technological drug. At least from my experience, the domain of the people, you get, you know, the psyches of the people that have used it. The experiences of the people that have used it are contained within the domain of these, you know, drug experiences. Like, the archetypes are kind of, in a way, that we share them. We have a LSD trip, and it's stored in that collective experience. And so that's what you get with ayahuasca, is you get all this imagery of the jungle, because you've had, you know, thousands of years of people doing that in the jungle and putting their collective experience into it. And so you enter a domain like ketamine, 
where there is nothing there because it's a relatively new drug. You, you know, it's like Dennis. I made a meme about this. It's like, who uses ketamine? It was like, Wooks, people at festivals, you know, uh, dentists, uh, horses. It's used as a horse tranquilizer. So in the domain of ketamine, there's not as much, you know, there's not 5,000 years of people using it in the jungle putting their imprint on it. And so LSD for me is like a technological one because it's been around less than 100 years. It's man-made. It's made with science and technology. So there's that impressed upon it. At least that's what I get from it. And a DMT, what I feel, is you're blasted out of your body un with reality presented to you unfiltered relative to your energetic state. Uh, I mean, and that's just a bit of what it's going to do because it's infinite and it's, uh, you know, Joker-like way of throwing you around. So who knows what you're going to get. You made a connection of DMT and Islamic architecture. And I think that that's a, I think that that is a, a really important connection. And um, in terms of, you know, I really find that architecture, that religious architecture and mosques and cathedrals and temples are some of maybe the greatest achievements that mankind has under its belt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, you have, are you familiar with, uh, <laughs> I'm going to say this wrong because I can't speak Spanish, but it's called the Sagrada Familia Cathedral Where's in that? Barcelona. Uh, it is so otherworldly, man. Oh, no, I haven't been in there, no. It is, if you look up a picture, man, it is so otherworldly. If you look at the inside, you will see the direct correlates with, um, with DMT and fractal visual. Yeah. It's amazing. It's one it of the most incredible, uh, you know, I've never been there. I only see pictures and I hope to go to it someday because it's so just breath. Have you ever, ha, have you ever actually, I, have you ever actually been to the dome dome? No, I haven't. Uh, okay. I'm not nearly well-traveled enough. That's for no. sure. It, well, it hasn't presented itself to you. You're just not ready yet. That's, that's all right. I'm telling you. It'll just, that's it'll right. just pop up. I just gave some away. I said, I've been holding on to some for a long time. I said, two shamans came in here. I said, take it. They'd never done it, actually. They they were doing, uh, 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 what is it? Uh, well, they shoot it in your nose. Rape. You know? Mm. Like, uh, it's like an ayahuasca thing. They shoot this tobacco. I think it's like a tobacco ball or something. Uh, like a specialized shamanic tool. They shoot it in your nose. I didn't have them do it to me because they're like, oh, it might make you purge. I'm like, I'm good. I'm working right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, this is a crazy little spot we're running here where all kinds of intensely beautiful energetic people come through here but yeah i'm going I'm, I'm i'm let's go back to the islamic art though so yes you see that you you've been to the dome yourself and you realize oh, holy crap these sufi mystics were getting there they might have been smoking some kind of dmt or they were getting there through a breathing technique you know because they say uh people that do wim hof and holotropic breathing that there is a dmt release when you do it, I have not gotten there myself, but I do not. I do believe them. I do believe it's possible. I mean, I've had I've had breathing experiences where it's been close, but I haven't gone like I've smoked DMT. I've never had like an equivalent th that. I've never had a breathing experience that was equivalent to me taking three hits of DMT. But similar stuff, but not no. Along the lines of what you're describing right now, have you had an experience where? you felt that maybe this state, this state, this something, maybe God, maybe the Tao, maybe the logo, something, something sublime, something beyond you was kind of knocking at your door 
and it was offering you something and maybe you wanted to 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 go for it to go with it and maybe you made like a little mistake at that very moment like you just you messed up a little in the way you were about to take that gift and it kind of faded away and do you ever if that's ever happened to you do you ever maybe like worry that you're not going to have that again or are you confident that it'll come back when you're ready you mean dmt if is it going to come back to me I mean, maybe it's, I mean, maybe that this experience I'm talking about manifested in the form of someone offering you DMT, but I'm, I'm talking maybe like spiritually, like, do you ever find that you were, you were in a situation where you felt something and it was offering you something and you wanted to take it and just maybe like in the very moment of being offered that you were like scared and it, you lost that opportunity. I'm, I'm or that not... opportunity left. I, 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 well, maybe this is what you're asking. I had an opportunity one time to do DMT, and I couldn't fully commit to the hit at the right time because I was scared, and I didn't fully break through. Right? I, it, it wasn't fun. Let me put it that way. I got, I went somewhere, but it wasn't fun because it was my energy. It was my state of being. I was so scared because on that second hit, something that opened, the portal opened up, and it was not pleasant. There was tentacles, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to go through that one. And I was crying, and I, I, and mind you, I've been doing this a lot for for a couple of years now, solid. And, uh, when I'm crying, it's problems, there's fucking problems. So, uh, I don't know if that was your question, but, um, my question, my question wasn't necessarily, I mean, that's, that's a, that's definitely a relevant answer. I would say, well, I'm trying, you know, if I really want to get to the, I'm trying to understand your question. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. My My question wasn't necessarily related to any, uh, any hallucinogens, although like hallucinogens might be relevant. Right. But it wasn't specifically relevant to that. Like I, for example, one time I had a, I bought a clock a long time ago. Like when I was just moving into my first dorm and I was looking for like, just kind of cool decorations. I found the clock and I just thought it was like a pretty, like a pretty like wooden clock, like an analog clock. And the battery had died and it was kind of sitting on my, I'd had it for a while, like maybe two years. And um, one time I was just sitting on the couch I was looking at like a, a print of a painting that I had on my wall and I looked at the clock and something like kind of just, I felt like there were things on the clock that didn't belong. And then I ended up like taking some tools out and like stripping the clock down to just a wooden face, like just the carved wooden face. And I remember putting that in the windowsill and seeing the light shine through this clock. And I just had this kind of enrapturing moment um where i felt that i was being offered something and then maybe i tried to capture fruit so for example when that moment was going on a part of my ego maybe said like i want to share this and i want to tell people that i'm having this moment and i took out my phone to like maybe take a snapchat and capture the moment oh yeah that happens to me all and the time. as soon as i did that yeah. i knew i made such a big mistake because it start you know i lost that enrapturing uh, well, I think I think the biggest problem was you you, you made a, you I, made an, you made an internal judgment. I think that's the first mistake you made was uh, worrying if you're going to lose the moment or not. But yeah, I mean for sure you lost the moment. But yeah, part of the biggest part of losing the moment is I'm judging that I'm losing the moment or not. I'm I'm dialing into losing the moment by judging it is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I've come to understand is 
I'm going to get more experiences like that when I'm in this state of like not trying to capture it, not trying to understand it. Just, yeah, the more I'll give it, the more, like, if I don't take my phone on the beach, I, I will have more, a much higher likelihood of finding something worth taking a picture of. Whereas if I bring it, you know, maybe not. And I have this annoying phone I've got to carry around. So uh, it, things are relative to how you're experiencing or how you're viewing and, and judging them. And a uh, perfect example of that is, this is my favorite one. You want to go somewhere fast in a car. Try, try really needing to text someone. You'll never, ever catch a red light. You will all get green lights because you want that light to change so bad. And here's the inverse. You really want to never get somewhere? Go get in the car and have to pee. And pee really bad. And in a place where you'll never have to, you can't find a place to pee. It's going to get bad. You will, the traffic will never move. And I've done this, I've done this on LSD many times because I had to like, when you when you when you supercharge it with the psychedelic, you can kind of test a belief system. And I'm like, I'm gonna test this perception of time if it's true or not. And I've done it many times, many different ways. And that's the best way to put it. I challenge myself all the time. I, I'll make a, I'll make a personal challenge to anyone listening to this. You're in the grocery store, and the lines are long. Choose the longest line possible. Go for it. Choose the longest line possible. You have nothing to do, nowhere to go. Like challenge yourself. And then what you'll see is. Reality has determined where you're, you're a fully determined being. Reality has determined where you're going to end up. Whether your ego wants to be there or not, that's another thing. So what I'm saying is if you're supposed to be somewhere, that, no, that line next to you will open up and you'll be the first one out. Now, if it's not your karmic propensity, maybe you need a lesson, maybe you need to learn. You're going to sit in line. But nine times out of ten, if you challenge yourself by playing these little games with reality, you're going to see it break open a little bit. And you're going to start to learn how you can surf these rules that are kind of holding us together. Because... Again, there's subjective systems that are running your system, but then are, we're all uh, at, the, at the slave to the objective rules. There's certain energetic rules that we just cannot get around. And uh, like, 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 like begetting like, that's the true law of attraction. You know, you're just getting more of whatever you're putting out there. It's just very simple. I don't want it, you're getting more of I don't want it. I want it, I'm getting more of I want it. I want something to want. So just be grateful. And you'll get more things to be grateful for. Very simple. We're done with the law of attraction. Put the secret down. Keep moving. <laughs> word yeah no and, and i'm i definitely agree with you i definitely feel like if you're not um the the only mindset you can have for those moments um is like i'm gonna try my best to take it when it comes to take the offer when it when it beholds itself to me and when reality offers me something that um is good to not desire it to just be grateful when it comes and it comes down to that giving up of the desire well yeah the desire to control it or to capture it like one thing i've learned over the past few years especially the past six months in dating is the impermanence of things don't try to pluck a flower when like you know don't try to make anybody a certain way or take them or make them possess them just let them be that's an osho thing just people you know let, let them be the pretty flower don't pick them just admire them for who they are and let them be, you know. So it's just been interesting being on this trip of, and then you popping along, and I feel like you're going to help me out with some, and you've been helping out. This is where I kind of want to move the conversation, is into the, if we got time, I don't know what time, I don't have much time myself, maybe another half hour, but uh, animus, anima, and my twin flames and crushes. Let's talk about women. if Because uh, I feel like in rel relative to my experience with your stuff, like that's where it always resonates the hardest, where I'm having this, if you would talk about it, for people who don't know about it, myself included, 
the anima stuff, if you would, because that's where I'm super interested in understanding how it's affecting me. What can I do to work with this energy? What's the purpose of it? Well, you know, guide me, uh, sensei. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So like I'm, I'm down to go down this route. Right. Um, so I was, we were talking about archetypes before and the idea of an archetype is that it's a, it's a category that exists in your psyche that you share with all other humans because it's so old. It's a category that's existed in reality so much longer than humans that it's, it's become hardwired into our neurobiology. And Carl Jung hypothesized that most of the, most of the identity roles we take, maybe father or son or mother or husband or wife, whatever identity role you take in life that you follow is that identity has existed for so long that it's built into that the proclivity to take that identity to have that character that um that say spirit of the father or spirit of the son that you're going to channel though that's that imprint is built into our neuro neuro neurobiology and one of the archetypes is the anima archetype. And the anima is, all, is paired with the animus. And they're the contrasexual archetypes, meaning that a person who is uh, feminine or female will have, um, they're more conscious of the feminine aspects of their psyche. And that's partially biological and partially socially constructed. It's this this amazing interplay and that's what archetypes are in a lot of ways yeah it's the um it's the point at which biology meets that the social constructs that have existed forever it's the point where memes become genes you know right so so here's what really caught my interest in this was the next level of information relative to where we're at which was the four tier system and i'll let you explain that but i'll just start by saying I realize I'm manifesting, I feel, and maybe you can correct me, but relative to what I've listened to you talk about on your podcast and read myself about this, um, I'm at the fourth tier of both projecting it myself. I'm at this fourth tier of projecting it, the highest level, I guess. You'll, you'll explain it. But, and then I guess what I'm manifesting in terms of my crushes, they're also this highest projection of divinity. So I'll let you go from there with your, I guess there's four levels of it. Yes. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. So, so like I said, we have and that, that that's a good a good point to transition into this. So, so thank you. Like I said, there are these identities have existed forever, you know, and then we kind of perceive things in these categories. The categories of our our cognition are based on the archetypes, and Carl Jung introduced the idea that. Um, they're the anima because that's a part of a, a man, a masculine person, a male psyche, right? The anima is the unconscious feminine aspect of it. And as the person grows up and um, their relationship with women changes and their relationship with their own unconscious feminine changes, that archetype uh, develops along four stages that Jung hypothesized. The first stage is... Um, oriented is called Eve, right? Which is a reference to Adam and Eve. It's the idea of woman as, um, as just an object of, of a thing of sexual desire, right? And then the following stage is Helen, referencing 
Helen of Troy. And Helen, the idea is that you still see women as an object of, as an image of sexual desire, but also you recognize a level, you, you see that women kind of have an autonomy and um, their own personhood and their own, um, their own, their own mode of being in the world. And people who are um, underdeveloped won't be able to recognize that in other people. Right, they treat women the as objects. The following stage is, is, refers to Mary. And then that's when you see women as a kind of spiritual, uh, a spiritual um, companion. The person you're looking for isn't just a, an object of sexuality or an object of maybe like an attractive personality, but also a, uh, the idea of a woman as um, someone who will guide you kind of closer to wholeness. And then the final stage it refers to Sophia. And you can't necessarily stay in the stage of Sophia, but when you maybe have a, a breakthrough moment in your life where you um, you understand something about reality that you can't quite put into words but can be represented in maybe um maybe art or images or music when you have that intimation it's seen as like an encounter with that that highest stage of the unconscious anima that sophia stage and i i want to say um so i'm always very cautious uh, and i you know maybe you are at a, a very highly developed point in your life i don't really know you that well you know so I'm not doubting it. I'm just saying in my experience, whenever I feel like I'm at um, maybe at, at like a high state of consciousness or a high point of development, I like to take a step back and think all the ways that maybe I'm not. Yeah. And I'm actually like drastically, like maybe 10 times lower, 10 times more unconscious than I think I am. Well, here's the and, thought. You know, I, think, I think I have a really good relationship um, with a lot of women, like a lot of my best friends in the world that I, I feel the closest to are women. But then I also feel like, um, I feel like a part of me is uh, underdeveloped in terms of um, maybe like my social expectations and like what I'm, what I'm imagining things and like what I look for, maybe my desire, you know, I think desire is a big, a big component. Like as soon as you really want something, it starts to flee from you because, um, you're not going with the Tao. You're trying to go against the grain instead so of you, you understand. the waterfall. Yes, you understand that concept. That's a good one. I tell people, I might look, the things you want are coming after you. But if you're coming after them, you're running around in a circle. You, nobody catches anybody. Well, you know, and, and how do you know what you want, you know? Like so many That's things true. in life that you think you really want. How many times have you gotten so close to something you really want and then you oh, realize yeah. that it's nothing. It's emptiness. It's It doesn't... It doesn't even exist, let alone is favorable. There's a Garth Brooks song. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. So that's been yeah. very true in my life. Yeah, you get right to that one yard line of like getting the thing or the person. And it's like, mm, I'm going to throw the ball back on the other side of the field for some reason. I don't want to. Realize, you realize <laughs> the thing you were pursuing isn't even the thing you're arriving at. You realize yeah. it never existed to begin with. That's true. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, not so going back to these four stages, I'm realizing now that I'm obviously not, you don't peek out and stay at one stage. I, yeah, I feel like I'm right at that third stage a lot, but uh, definitely the embodiment of all four simultaneously. 
I don't know if that's the thing, but I'm obviously, it sounds like it's a tier system, but at the same time, it sounds like you embody these things at different levels simultaneously, meaning you might be 80% of the third tier, maybe, or no, 75% of the third tier, 5% of the first tier. And you know what I mean? Like you're, you're not fully embodying them all at once. I think that's a fair way of looking at it. Yeah. Like I think sometimes, and then also there are, you know, I think sometimes that you might consciously feel like you're at the, at the third stage and you might consciously say to people that you're looking for something like really meaningful and really spiritual. And then when you look a little deeper at your own unconscious actions, like how you're, how you're kind of lying to yourself a little and kidding yourself, you realize that parts of your unconscious are really at a, uh, at a much more immature level where you're just still kind of pursuing that, like, like maybe meaningless hookups, like, and even though you say you want something that's really meaningful and spiritual, there's a part of you that's just pushing you in like a really, well, I'll um, tell you though, a really for, silly direction, a really immature direction. At least that's how I feel. Well, th yeah. the thing is, I used to feel that way too. But you get to a point where you realize, through the sense of oneness, that you 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 just by virtue of the shift in perception and how you're seeing people and experiencing things, you 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 treat them different by default because you're experiencing yourself in another person. It's like holy shit. So. Also, you realize things doing psychedelics, for example. Here's an interesting one. When you lay with someone, when you have sex with someone, you're exchanging energies. Now, we obviously understand we're exchanging fluids and stuff, but you're exchanging energy, energy. And so, for example, ayahuasca is one of these ones where they have you, I don't know, depending on the shaman, a month, a couple weeks, whatever, abstain from sex. But more importantly, that, that's to charge your energy. But more importantly, on the back end, once you've done the ayahuasca, to not have sex for a while because you are energetically open. Not only that, you're purified to a degree, and so you're open. You're gonna let some. You're gonna lay with somebody and get their demons on you. Uh, you know their energy. They, I, I, I always think about like this: when a penis goes in the vagina or whatever, the butt doesn't matter. Do what you do your thing. But here's the thing: it's a download. You're sticking your USB into somebody else's slot. And you're downloading their information, their DNA, their, you know, karma to a degree. I don't know, uh, I think, their, their, their energy body. I think it's definitely the case that, you know, it, even to be in a situation where two people are going to have sex, you have to kind of match energies a little. For sure, like for sure. But you have to but, get on the, and then sometimes I found yeah. that maybe I, 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 I look for the, the worst parts of myself in other people. And then I find that really attractive. Oh yeah. And I I, I kind of indulge in that vice, and I think that that's really, well, um, I think that's a really immature way of approaching life. No, no, no. There's nothing wrong with that. There's you let your, that. you should do that. You should go right into that wave to know you don't want it anymore, and and to peter out that desire. Because when you don't peter out the desire, you're like pulling it back, and you're giving it more energy. Oh, you know, I don't want to do it. I shouldn't do it. That's why. That's what I do with weed. Now I just lovingly work with it instead of pulling back and saying, I'm going to just force myself. No, uh, you just work with it and uh, you go into that because, again, we, you, you taste a certain level of divinity and certain things just don't matter or you approach people differently. You don't want to, you know, the darkness is just integrated. It just doesn't happen. Or the psychedelics show you, I don't want these person's demons sucking onto my body. There's certain things that you just understand. And for me, it's like this, maybe I'm paranoid about it now, but between the energy on other people and my personal progress that is much faster when I'm not hooked to someone else, all these things have just kept me basically celibate for the past, I'm going on three years now, and working with sexual energy without a sexual partner and stuff like that. But uh, 
you get to a point where the desire for it is not as much, whether it's by virtue of your age or your karma or something, or you got a wife, you're, you're fulfilled. I don't know, but you, you, yeah, you, you, you work out the, the clock on these things, you run them out. So don't feel bad about it. Don't feel bad about going into your dark desire. You need to learn and you need to confront that shadow. And that's how you do it by jumping in the dark pool of water and getting in and getting wet and learning how scared you are, how, how dangerous it is, why you're attracted to this thing. And what did they learn from you? What was the exchange? Because in every exchange, you're the teacher and the student. It doesn't matter how advanced the other person is or not. You're going to get something out of every exchange if you can be conscious and be like sitting fully present with what's going on because you won't miss anything. You're like, oh, that's exactly what I was supposed to get from that person. Thank you, God. Yeah, well, well, I mean, I'm definitely not on the... I'm definitely not an advocate of of repressing the things that the parts of your shadow, you know, and I think that those parts of your shadow are really what come out in the, in the people you're attracted to in a lot of ways. Like well, that's the, that's, if I could give another message to people, the mushrooms told me this and it's just true. I mean, the mushrooms had to tell me something that was obvious, but the obvious thing was this, the mushroom said, Hey, you're manifesting outwardly in your reality via your partner Everything you feel, you know, every judgment about yourself, everything about yourself uh, that you hate about yourself, all this darkness in yourself, you've manifested that externally as your partner to bring you into awareness and, you know, bring it into the light painfully, unfortunately, in my case. But absolutely, you're manifesting a mirrored experience to bring you into alignment with the light. So whatever shadow you got going on, yeah, the, that, the, the, the partner you have is a master because you've let him in. And you, the, oh, I love you. I want to be with you. I want to have sex with your body, blah, blah, blah. They, that, they had that master of attraction. So in another way, because I've been in this flip-floppy energetic state for so long now, every, everything that comes to the door, it's like Thanos has snapped his fingers. They disappear or they run away or the vibe, whatever. It's just not happening for me. I had an experience on DMT one time that said, you have run out all your relationship karma in this life if you choose. And so what, what's actually been happening to me is I've been having this crush on this person I've never even met for three years, and I've been doing past life experiences, and I've had these, I've met this woman that looks exactly like her, who's 20 years older, and this is my daughter from a f former life, who was, I was married, it's just a long thing. And it's just more mind bullshit, ultimately. It's a fun narrative I could play out. It's been exciting. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it right now. But ultimately, everything is a narrative that the mind wants you to get you hooked in. So you can keep coming on for rides in these lifetimes. Oh yeah, come on now. You got your, you got this present life figured out. Fuck, go further. Let's go, let's go to lifetimes. Let's go to Egypt. Oh, let's go to the farm where you shot yourself in the head in the last lifetime to prove that there's no hell. I mean, it goes on and on and on. The mind, especially a mind that is running with no filter and says, let's bring in all the beliefs. Let's no judgment. Let's just check them all out. It's endless because it's infinite. So the point is. You get to a point where you've acquired enough knowledge that you have to drop it. There's two types of yogis. There's a, a Jani and a, a Bhakti yogi. Bhakti yogi is more like a, 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 what a Christian is. They're, uh, they serve an avatar. They have a devotion. In Christian's case, it's Jesus. Now, uh, a Jani is somebody who gets to the path of God through knowledge. Well, unfortunately for the Jani, at the, end of the, at the top of the mountain, they have to drop all this knowledge because it's worthless. You've, 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 you've accumulated this knowledge to drop this character, the self, or the, the, the person with the small eye, because uh, it's not real. And you have to drop all this knowledge you've accumulated. So you can play with the tarot cards. You can do astrology. Nothing wrong with it. it you might get caught up in it for a couple of lifetimes, or you can just get out of that. 
go further. And I need to stop too. I'm just as guilty of it. with all this bullshit with Instagram and memes. It's fun, but I got to keep getting into the house of God. I'm stuck in the garden with all these distractions, all the lights, all the pretty girls. I got to keep moving. Word. So, so I kind of like this topic, if you don't mind sticking to I think this is a topic you want to stick with, though. Oh, yeah. I can talk Why about women all day long. Could you tell me the most um, maybe destructive um, relationship or, or um, attraction you've ever had and why you think maybe that was so destructive for you and maybe why you wanted that destruction? Well, I guess unconsciously it was just part of this egg that needed to be broken. So how I look at it is this. I was this basically the last relationship I was in three years ago. It was a four-and-a-half-five-year relationship. It was, I call, you know, this, they call it a petty tyrant somebody who shows up in your life to kind of usher, usher you into the dark night of the soul, this master, right? This master who has accumulated all these tools against you, you know? And, and it was, she was an amalgam of all these things that I had either wanted to explore that were dark or judged as dark or being called on a, a certain way I was being as a man, you know? Yeah, uh, wait, hang on. So, so I don't want to interrupt you, except I, what you just said, um, typically in stories and dreams and, and archetypal experiences, the anima will show up at the start of a journey to get you ready, to set you off on that journey. Well, yeah. For, well, it, well, it was, for example, it was, Luke Skywalker sees the hologram of the princess telling him uh, that was looking for Obi-Wan Kenobi. Well, I wouldn't even say that. I'd say the crush would be more that that I got going on now than this, than, the, than, that, than my ex. My ex was this destroyer. This was this colleague figure that had come in to bring me into awareness. And I feel like this current girl I have this crush on, because it's been basically like a hologram that I've seen. It hasn't even been a real thing, pretty much. Um, that has caused me to really go into the light fully. It was this other character, my ex, who brought me into the awareness of my darkness and helped me drag me through hell. to wake. To, I had to be drag, dragged through hell my own shit to be woken up. We all do, ultimately. It's pain that's going to wake you up. Your suffering is going to wake you up, hopefully uh, sooner than later. You know, is it going to take a car accident that's going to kill you? Or is it going to take, you know, like a little fender bender to like re make you recognize whatever you're out of alignment with in that particular case? But anyway, so yes, uh, I this woman came to my life. I had an extreme sexual attraction to her amongst many things. She was a photographer just like I was. I'm a very good one at that. So, so many things I felt, I, my mind said, oh, this will work for me. Because for years I was looking for someone who I could date that could kind of work with my photography lifestyle. Meaning I'm traveling, I'm not there a lot of times. It's difficult. It can be. So I thought, okay, I'll be with this person and it'll all work out. And we got along, we were attracted to each other, blah, 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 blah. Uh, about halfway through it, all the cracks started to just burst. All, my, all the darkness, everything about her was forcing me to deal with these all this unconscious. She was the unconscious darkness manifest. It's as simple as that. It is as simple as that. And uh, it destroyed me. It destroyed this character. It was full. It, was, it destroyed the ego character. This character that was a full ego character. Uh, she was this destroyer of that, which allowed this new thing which you're talking to now to happen. Uh, she was the uh, this this person who came in and destroyed me. Absolutely gutted me, eviscerated me, and now I'm thankful for it. I had it took me a lot of healing to get to to, to get to that point because I had an apartment. I had money. I had uh, at a certain, when I first started dating, I had a good running car, and I and I didn't. I didn't have a car, so a complete and total destruction of both 
uh, the physical, mental, I mean, everything but the spiritual ego. The spiritual, uh, or not the spiritual ego, but the spirituality in general was found through this situation. So the, the, the person in front of you that you're bloodying in bed with you, that's your most powerful mirror or, your, you know, your most, your most close relationship. You don't have to be sleeping with the person, but um, nine times out of ten, if you're sleeping with them, it's pretty intense. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a mirror. It's just a mirror of yourself. And if you're in a good spot, if you love yourself, you probably married in a good in a, in a happy relationship, because that's what I saw a lot of times in weddings. I could tell the people who were not going to last versus the ones who were, and it wasn't based on some snap judgment. This was towards the end of my career where I was like understanding these energetic laws, seeing how these people react, and still holding the space of non-judgment. Was saying, you know what? And then I was right. A couple of years later, six months later, they wouldn't be together. They weren't yoked evenly. I think that's what it's called, said in the Bible, right? I think I don't know who says that. Paul or something. Corinthians. I don't know what it is, but. You have to be yoked evenly to your partner in so many different ways, and that's one of them. So, so I have a, I have a question. So you you know you kind of described the relationship and the role that this this past woman played in your life. What do you, what do you suspect that your role and your maybe influence on her life was? Do you think that maybe uh, you may have had a as negative an effect on her life as she had on yours? No, it was more one sided. It was. Well, I had a, I had negative effects relative to her ego's perspective. But ultimately, from the spot I found her in to the spot that she exited my life in, I did the I, I personally did the yogic thing of I lost myself to this person, but they got to a higher ground. And that's it. That, and, and, I, and I don't I, I say that pretty clear of judgment, pretty clear of my own ego. I feel like. And that was the that was the lesson that I I I, told, I I also showed her that, and this is very an unconscious thing that's revealing itself that you know that certain people and I'm about to cry talking about it actually so this is good, I cry every day talking to people I'm at a certain point but that's you have good. you have an instant you have an instant realization and you just want to cry so I, I almost blocked the realization what was I talking about? Oh, <laughs> uh, you were talking about the the effect you may have had on her life. Oh, yeah. So now I'm crying thinking about it. But yeah, the, the fact that prior to meeting me, she had not met an upstanding, positive male. I don't think. And I think a lot of the times I was sent to be, and this is not some victim thing I'm putting out. I think a lot of times I was meant to take some of the blows that she put on me as like taking it as the psyche of the collective man that had turned that had put her down or had disempowered her, disenfranchised her, wasn't there for her, didn't know her dad. So I went into this situation, uh, and I, it helped me break this this pattern of being a white knight, trying to help to my detriment. And so this was my ultimate destruction. But yes, thanks for helping me understand that uh, I was able to show her that not every guy is a piece of shit. <laughs> I have, a, I have another question along these lines, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. Um, so, so now clearly the relationship, even though you, you know, you say you had a, a positive effect on her, and that's kind of good. That's that's really good. Like that's that's like the effect I would hope, I, like that I have on on everyone in my life. You know, so it's really it's really good that you were a good uh, had a good effect on her life. But it, it ultimately did fail based on what you're telling me. Do you think it's possible that – Well, it, I mean it, 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 it failed, but it, 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 it failed in the fact that it, it, it served its purpose is the best way to put it, I think. It served mm -hmm. its purpose to get us where we needed to go, which is this higher ground. I got to a higher ground, and she got to a higher ground by virtue of us coming together out of our egoic wants and desires 
relative to where we started, you know. So we ended up we start one you start one place, you end up totally different. You really do. And uh, you just got to keep letting go and trusting. Like, really, truthfully, at the end of the day, everything's here to serve you. And I, that, that comes from Matt Kahn, and it's really true. You can look him up. But uh, everything in this reality, if you can remove your ego from it, uh, it's here to serve you. It's here to elevate you. And you might have to go through some, uh, you know, I think Joseph Campbell talks about the cave you enter holds the, you know, the treasure you seek or whatever. So you got you to gotta make scary moves in a healthy direction sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, if you're not in a good spot with your relationship, work on yourself and it will, a couple things will happen. So if you can recognize right now that you're not in a relationship and you don't even know a way out, all you need to do from this point is work on yourself because it is a literal manifestation of your outer, your inner being creating the outer reality. So if you do what you can, make small steps to work on yourself, the universe is going to keep meeting you halfway in that intent. And you're just going to walk yourself into a healthy position that's either going to do a few things. If you raise your frequency, the partner may come with you. They may heal. You may have some understanding. They may get into some modality without even you doing anything. And this is where you're going to see the interconnected nature of reality, where when you do something small to yourself, you see it in the outer world. And the more you do, the greater the effect becomes to the point where you get to, you can see it where I'm doing it now, where I'm talking to people on the other side of the world. You know, so small things, it's a mustard seed. It really becomes something big. So, um, so I have, a, I have a, I have a, go I have ahead. a question yeah. and a comment about myself, maybe. So I kind of get the feeling that what you, or at least in my experiences, like what you say you want is really kind of the opposite of what you need. And like in a lot of ways, I was saying that like, um, I was looking for like, uh, a kind of negative influence girl in my life um, to kind of like go into more like maybe like risky situations and more like um, more situations, I would say. Yeah. Like, like sometimes you need to go into danger. Like you need to get out there in the world more and experience, experience, right. Experience that kind of like the shadow, you know? Um, But I think ultimately what I really, uh, need in life is is someone who's like a, a really positive influence who will kind of like rein me in a little because I'm very um, I have a lot of energy and if it's misplaced it could actually go uh, sometimes when my energy is misplaced it could go further in a further in the direction that I was aiming that I anticipated and actually have a negative effect and then sometimes now for for you I get the impression that you're you're talking about how you want um, that you want like a, a, a like a a stage three anima type person in your life. Well, so who you on, see as let me let me just back, let's just back up for a second. I want to yeah. use your little rule you just had with marijuana. So the thing you said was we're actually avoiding the things we need the most, right? That's that's what you said, isn't it? Uh yeah. In in, so, a, in a lot of ways, yeah. So I'm going to try to transfer that. Let's get out of the women for a second. Let's transfer that to marijuana. So if I can, I'm trying to avoid the thing I need most, huh? Let me think if that resonates. I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to think about that one. That's a good one. Now, go, taking that back to women, uh, well, I, that, I think that's why I'm in this state where I don't have anything. Is I, I, so Here's my theory. As you approach wholeness within yourself, um, a totality, which is 
you don't need to quench your love, joy, bliss from anything, but it's this beautiful faucet within, you reach a point where not only are you not needing it, not wanting it, you you really are discriminatory and really you you know like if you're going to get into my bliss state i want to make sure you're like the best possible thing ever so i'm in this state now where i'm not driven mad by a need to be fulfilled from outside i'm not driven by sex even which is incredible um i my biggest issue is just i think i have a cloud of marijuana around me most of the time which is its own female energy but i think as people approach a state of oneness within themselves, whether they're a man or a woman, they can choose to be in a relationship out of choice, not out of like karma, not out of desire because they're incomplete. They feel incomplete. Most people are acting out of this, uh, their incompletion. They're, they're grasping for alcohol or drugs or women or, or men or whatever, entertainment, gambling, masturbation, escapism, you know, to avoid dealing with reality. Um, it feels good. Why not? But uh, some some of those things do. But uh, I have a question. For sure. You. Do you ever think that the vices people proclaim battling with are ever are? Because I think that sometimes when people proudly proclaim a vice, when really they have a very different vice, and or or or, or maybe a lacking, like they they proclaim like that they have an inappropriate relationship with say weed when it's really uh an, an inappropriate relationship with something else that they're trying to cover up hmm. and, and like signal that vice and i'm not i'm not saying that this is you i'm, I'm oh. actually i'm just asking if this is you i'm um, trying to see if it is me actually right, I'm trying to see if right. there's anything i'm, I'm trying to because i'm pretty i'm really honest the honest truth is i have a ton of access to marijuana at a very high level. I like it. I don't think there's anything I'm like, I'm not virtuous signaling this way to hide something that way. I don't think. I'm like, am I? Am I? What am I doing here? I run a, I run a float center. I help people out. I'm, I'm honest with the masturbation stuff, which I don't really struggle with. I mean, I'm not a chronic masturbator by any means. But when I say I struggle, I mean I'm not going 90 days. You know what I mean? Versus like I'm not going nine minutes. Like a normal person. When I, my, <laughs> well, that's the thing. My extremes of like, my, my extremes of, where I put myself in terms of like, oh, you know, like you, you only went a week, bro, without jerking off. That's not enough. You know, like most people, they can't do that. So um, most men. So there's this, that's just the way I operate. But I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest. I mean, I think I'm, are you, is there something where you're doing virtue signaling one way and then you're not, you know, like to cover it for something else? Because maybe you are. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. And nothing, usually when somebody asks me a question in the state I'm in right now, questions, the answer is immediate. And I'm really drawing a blank because the two things I really struggle with, and I, even my relationships, I'm on with that. I got a crush on a girl I've never met. My exes are uh, dragging me through hell. Uh, I, I, I try to channel my energy through not masturbating, and uh, I struggle with marijuana. I'm trying to think if there's anything I could tell you that I'm hiding. Is well, I'll, I'll give you one example from me. Um, sometimes I like to proclaim uh, like um, pathological obsession with things when really I have – in a lot of ways, and maybe I am pathologically devoted to certain things in some ways, but I think that an even bigger problem of that to that is maybe pathological distraction, where I'm so scarcely focused on so many things that it really amounts to no focus on anything. Oh, well, that's me right there. No, that's me right there. 
Now that's 100% me right there in the past few weeks for sure, where I'm like an octopus, iPad, iPhone, computer, telephone call, somebody's calling me the business, X, Y, Z, da, 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 da. Absolutely. I'm getting nickel and dimes to the point where I'm getting nothing done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like for example, I was, I missed, you know, we were supposed to record this a few days ago and I totally blew it. I, I, I got distracted with other things. I, well, I, that, was, that was the universe granting me a little bit of a breather, too, because as much as I wanted to do it and ready was to do it, I'm like, oh, thank God. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, it, it it works out from time to time. But, like, I also – I know I missed a phone call with uh, someone I was supposed to talk to for work this week because I was uh, distracted on something else about work. I was – yeah. So so I think, um, I think sometimes the vices you proclaim to have – are often the vices that you maybe wish you had because you have the opposite vice. Oh, now that makes sense because I'm on Instagram bitching all day about not smoking weed or wanting to not smoke weed when I'm actually just should stop using Instagram. Yeah, I think that's that's actually I think a great answer. That's, yeah, well, that's exactly the, really the question I was asking. I I see that now that you say that. Well, that's the point of the talk therapy and then the honesty. If you can be honest and talk to someone with a state of loving oneness and no judgment, you'll get these answers. They'll, they'll just drop right out of your mouth. Oh, and I've, I've known that. It's a matter of like executing at this point. Can I not get on Instagram? But continue. You know what? Actually, this reminds me of a story I wanted to tell, actually, what you just said about talk therapy and honesty. And, you know, there's an idea if you're a, if you're into – into I, because I'm a believer in psych, psychology, psychoanalysis. Like I really think that those are fields that help people in a very substantial, meaningful way. And I'm also, um, I, to, I'm also to a as, point. To a point. I I'm an advocate. I'm an advocate too, to a point, because and then you get to a point where at me, like it's, this is very high level stuff of like you're going into your past lives. Like that's high level. Like yes, you should you should look at your life right now and see why it's fucked up. Please do. But also be mindful that you may not need to go into 10,000 lifetimes, you know? Just be enlightened and move on. <laughs> Don't worry about it. So anyway, yes, go, going back to what you're saying. And then also I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the Christian mythos, the, the mythology, the, the kind of dreamlike underpinning underneath Christianity, the idea of the logos creating reality at the beginning of time. Like I love that idea. And then so then there's also this idea that because we each possess the logos – um, you know, we all possess the logos. And then it seems like the basis of talk therapy, the basis of psychoanalysis is the healing aspect of the logos. The idea that you can heal someone with truthful speech. And um, I've been interested in, in psychology for a very long time. I'm like, my parents are actually a very interesting uh, pair and influence on me because, you know, my dad's a lawyer, right? He's, he's all about the logos, right? His spoken word is his career, right? And then my mother was a, a psychologist, right? So it's a, it's a very, um, I see how they both uh, influenced me so much. But one time I was at the Grand Canyon in Arizona and I was, I was walking around and someone asked me to take a picture of her and her family. And um, I remember she was really like a, she was a, a beautiful woman. Um, she was she looked maybe a little Native American. Like she was um, she had kind of very light eyes and, and darker skin. Um, and I took this photo of her and her family. And um, I spoke to her for a second and she put her hands on my face and said that I have healing abilities. And, you know, I'm typically a skeptical person. So I I. You know, part of me laughed it off, but I also think sometimes 
I think I'm good at speaking and I'm good at articulating things. And maybe that's a, that's more of a healing ability than anyone would ever, that, that most people would ever even consider. I think both answers are right. Right. I think you are going to be accessing powers you can't even comprehend at this level of being right now, sooner than later. And also, yeah, and you're right about your words. Absolutely. So you're, she's right, you're, and you're right. Word. Accept it. It'll go, yeah. it'll go, it'll go down uh, faster if you relax and swallow the pill with uh, yeah. accept, ex- acceptance. Just accept it at this point. Drop the, just, hey, just put the ego every night to bed and say, hey, God, just uh, take a little bit more off. Easy, the nice way. Because here's another thing I like to put out there. I truly believe, oh, there goes the pump. That we must, it's almost time to cut it. Is that too loud? Can you hear the pump? Very vague. Not okay, good. right now. I can. Yeah, okay. I can hear it right now. It's not too bad, though. No, not at all. Okay. Okay. What was I talking about? Oh shit. Mm-mm-mm. What are we talking about? I just lost it. Uh, I'll be honest. I kind of lost it too. Um, I was talking. We were talking about. Um, well, we talked about the spoken word as a mechanism of healing people, and I, that's an idea that really resonates with me. And before that, we were talking about uh, proclaiming one vice so you can yeah another. No, you're just you're here to heal, and this is part of it to spread your message. And you know, we're all the you're we're all Jesus. We're all we all have access to those powers. That doesn't deny Jesus any divinity at all. What it does is it empowers you. Uh, to start to go down that path of uh, understanding it and uh, accessing and tapping into those powers because you absolutely are not you. You are the awareness uh, having this experience because you wanted to experience life with limitations instead of the God mode that you can play it in any time you want. So, And you've just been doing this limited experience for, I don't know, how many eons now? Who knows? Doesn't matter. Just enjoy your life. Be, relax. Everything's coming to you. It's all good. Everything's here to serve you. You are the one infinite creator of your own reality, and that's a fact. And See, you, now, now I, I've gotten the impression through our conversations and through your memes and, and the, the message you give, and I'm not criticizing it, but would it be correct to say that you're um, very optimistic and you, you try to tell people that if you do things right, it'll unfold in a, a, a comedic way rather than a tragic way. Oh, that, that's, 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 that's what, thank you. That's actually what I wanted to talk about was this. You can program your reality. You can start to say, once you recognize that you have control to a degree, you can say, I'd like it to be a little bit more graceful, a little bit more funny. Enlightenment doesn't have to be uh, sadistic, masochistic, hard. It can be. There are certain aspects that absolutely will be. But for the most part, you can have enlightenment, and it can be funny. It can be happy. It can be cheerful. You can ask God for that. But the thing is, a lot of people, I think, are dialing into older technologies, uh, older belief systems. And they're not that they're wrong. It's just there's updates you can get. And it's called 2019. And <laughs> you don't have to dial into some of these archaic things that... Uh, older levels of consciousness would support but these new levels just don't so uh everybody's going to find their way home all i'm here to do is to stand out and you know say these are tools my job is empowerment my job is to give you the power i don't want any power because you realize there is no power to have and the minute you let it go you can have it all so there's no power to have we can give it all away 
You're always going to be taken care of. Abundance is measured in this moment, not a future projection. Yeah, if you're worried about what you're going to do in six months, if you're going to build this or that, you don't have the money, you're in lack. But guess what? You're always in the infinite now where it's abundant. Do you have what you need now? Yes, you're abundant. If not, then maybe you got problems. <laughs> but for the most part, it's this moment only over and over again. So again, all these practices will just continue to bring you into the state of awareness that yes, it's just a dream. You don't have to react so harshly. Don't take anything personal. I'm, I'm being walked home here. I can have it fun if I want to. I can have it hard if I want to, too. That's perfectly okay. The universe is just mirroring you. That's it. That's all it is doing. It's giving you what you want. If you want it masochistic, if you want to be unconscious and give yourself a pain reality every single day, all reality is just going to match your mind and your heart. They're going to come together and they're going to coalesce to give you your karmic propensity. And your karmic propensity can happen in any way. It can manifest in any form. It's not set. You're set to get certain things energetically as you pass through the field in this life, but you can have it a certain way. It's not set in stone how it's going to manifest. The karmic propensity says it can be one way or the other. You can go the funny, clown-like, jester, uh, incredible, uh, you know, but with a little bit of pain and suffering. Or you can go like the, the masochistic way and beat yourself in the back with a, a knife and bleed for Jesus and scream and yell. You can have it that way, too. I truly believe that. You can have it any way you want. You just got to die. You got to realize that and you dial into it. As simple as that. So I so along this line, I have a quest. I have a, a proverb kind of thing, a comment and a, a question. Um, the comment being, and I might be getting this uh, this line wrong, but I think I heard it from uh, Slavo Zizek, and um, he said, someone said, I think it was him, that Socrates never sm never uh, cried, and Jesus Christ never laughed. That those, that in two of the greatest minds let's say in history in the in the western canon of thought there are these two distinct lacks of a part of the human experience this kind of incompleteness in both of them and carl jung criticized carl jung's criticism of christianity of jesus was that jesus never lived his animal like lived his animal never lived the shadow aspect of life and he also well, said that could. He couldn't, though. He was full divinity. How could he? There's well, no that... shadow. Let me tell you, here's a, here's a good one for your listeners here. You can't, there's no shadow of a flame. You take a picture of a flame, there's no shadow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's no shadow in pure light. Jesus, Krishna, those high avatars, pure light. Well, that's, that's I would say, a, 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 that, that would be a very um, Catholic theological uh, response to that criticism, for sure. For sure. <laughs> and... Um, that's probably what my Catholic friends would say if I brought up that criticism. But along these lines, Jung, at one point, he had a vision where he was in a library. And in this vision, he takes out the book, The Imitation of Christ, right? And he was talking about what it means to imitate Christ. And he also, he came to the conclusion at one point that Christ acted on his, Christ was his own man, his own thinker. Yeah. And that to live based on the word of someone else is not what Christ would do. And it's almost, you have to question Christ in order to imitate Christ was something that Carl Jung brought up. Well, then, and, then, and, and in the questioning, you're taken to the same exact spot that Christ gets to, which is divinity consciousness. And at that point, it's fact. 
it's an objective fact. There's no way around it. It's just the truth. It's the substratum of reality. So it's just a matter of getting karmically there in that lifetime or, you know, well, whatever Jesus's mission was, if he had a, a bunch of lifetimes prior or not, I don't know. But at a certain point, he, he was sent here perfect or he achieved perfection. And uh, you, you, they wake up and they get out. And they, there, there's some schools of Buddhism that say the Buddha woke up, he could have escaped and gotten out. He waits at the gate to, to make sure everybody gets into heaven too. So what enlightened these avatars I think are, based on what's happening to me and based on what I've read many times over, is you have a very human life and you have all those faults and shadows that exist within that karmic body. And at a certain point, there's a breakaway, there's an, there's an awakening, there's a shift, and you become less, you become more light and less ego, and it just continues to go in that direction. And then you may just full-on leave this plane of existence, or you may stay around like a Christ or a Buddha and be compassionate. Because here's the thing, when you do have these awakening experiences, and that you, 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 you break into the heart, it's over. Once you're in the heart, and you're in the compassion area for other people, there's no turning back, and uh, because you recognize that everybody's you, and you're relative, you're not as suffering as much as you were used to be because you've had all these experiences, and now you realize everybody else is, and because you're in the center of the heart now, there's no, you cannot. It's very hard to not be compassionate. It's like a default way of being almost, and so it's not even something you have to worry about. It just happens. You just fall into the heart, either through chemicals, and you try to stay there, i.e., MDMA. And you, you know, oh, I'm in the heart. I'm, I'm experiencing you know, divinity consciousness is through the heart now, not just through the mind. And so it's a very, very powerful place. You want to do anything you can to get there. So that's what I mean by the sweet taste of this divine nectar. You, once you taste it, you got to do it. I'm doing everything I can. Float tanks, psychedelics, meditation practices, breathing, anything I can, any extreme I can to just get more of this taste of this stuff. And so, again, I'm going to end with this. Float, float, float. <laughs> <laughs> because it will, the floating is going to allow you to wash off a couple layers of these heavy layers of your being, and then it's going to allow you to kind of choose your healing modality, because going back to the fun part of working through reality as you heal, is I truly believe you're offered a healing modality of your, you know, highest joys to do it, and mine is floating. Some people are built for karate or yoga or running or weightlifting, or whatever. My particular thing has been because the state of my body when I arrived at this point was racked in pain. And so floating and helping people in extreme pain has been my mission now for five years. So float. Please float. It'll, it'll guide you the way to all the other things. And if you want to manifest psychedelics in your life, float. Because you know what floating does? It shows the psychedelic hand of God that's wanting to extend itself. It says, hey, I'm doing the work, God. I'm creating space. I'm uh, emptying my mind so I can hear the psychedelics, you know, so I can uh, understand what to do with this powerful experience because a lot of people are thrown into the psychedelic experience not knowing the power, not, no, not being in the right state, and it's chaos. It causes more problems than, it, than, uh, than good. And But the, thing, for the funny thing is that even far, far enough out, unless it kills the person, it, the takeaway is good because they don't go back to that state. They don't fuck with them again. That's what they needed. They needed a bad trip to not go there again mm -hmm. unless it kills exactly. them or, or mentally. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Sometimes it's good to be dragged to hell. Yeah. Carl Jung, uh, Carl Jung is definitely of that mindset. But I think that's a beautiful closing message. I think it's a genuine message. I, I feel from the things you've said to me and the things you've encouraged and that I, even the, the gestures you've made towards me, helping me get set up 
for for a free float like that means a lot to me and it shows a level of of genuineness coming from you that well, you believe that I appreciate that but I'll tell you it's not even about genuineness it's about the truth where right you, you get to this point where you are in the seat to a degree and you can give away you can be abundance in every moment and give because you're so outside of yourself you're one with divinity you're the field and you know exactly what the person needs and you can give it to them i'm not always there i pray for it more than i'm there in that state uh, that i'm less in the body of the pain and more in the samadhi state more in just like blissed out helping people out man because we can all get there if i can if my body is riddled with intense energy and pain and suffering and car accidents that i was in if i can get here and have this conversation with you it it doesn't cost me anything to help you to put to put your content out there to to to, to get you afloat uh, that's within my grasp even if i have to go the extra mile like it's, it, the, okay so here's what i'm going to leave it with for, for real serve what's in front of you it's the only thing that exists it's literally the only thing that exists is what's in front of you in this moment right now it's you tomorrow it's going to be somebody else or it's going to be another thing and i hope i'm aware enough i hope i'm strong enough i hope i'm compassionate enough to be there in that moment for that person right and the other thing i'll say is when you can't get there that's where you work when you're triggered when you're unhappy, when 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 you when it presents to your ego an unpleasant situation, that's where you got to work, you know. So that's what I'm going to leave it with. Love everybody and tell the truth, you know. Uh, Ram Dass again, great stuff and great content. Thanks for the great memes. Thanks for your honesty. That's why I resonate with your stuff. You're honest. You're good. You're really good at it. Keep going. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I, it, and we're going to talk about this maybe next week or whenever you get in the float tank, we'll be on my end of it. I got, I'm very excited to do another end of this. I'm very excited to float. You know, I didn't really talk about it um, in this because I'm not really comfortable yet, but I've been going through some things in my personal life and my work life, even in the past few weeks that um, I think are going to, I'm going to look back as kind of transformative. I'm, and I'm really excited to see how that changes um, changes the way I approach things in life. And hopefully I get to share that the next time we speak. I'm really excited. I really appreciate you coming on. I really ex appreciate the, the conversation and, and, and all of this. Likewise. So, I, I, I'll tell you, it's, uh, I, I guess this is your first guest appearance show. So that's an oh. honor to be number one. I appreciate that. God bless you. Love what you do. Love you. Um, just continue on and I will talk to you soon. Thanks again. God bless, man. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Peace.